everybody, welcome to another episode of MPG Rants. Ross, you look like I feel this morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I look like I feel. Yeah. Uh, for everybody, it's for us, we are recording on Friday morning. It's before noon for me. It's about noon for Ross. and um, Which is my morning. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we we each kind of roughing it. We've had a we've had a rough week. I know I've had an extremely rough week, and I'll explain why here in a, in a second. And uh, we're we're gonna so try I, to get this out as soon as possible for everybody. Yeah, I know. Well, so I've had a rough week for reasons I can't really explain. I've just started waking up at like eight or nine in the morning every day without trying and without intending to, and without going to sleep early. So I'm just on four or five hours of sleep every night, and I don't know why. I think it's officially like an old man thing. Like it, it happens to me too. Uh, you know, it's it's funny that you're saying that because I've actually had the same experience this week. Is like I keep waking up at a decent time, but I've actually been going to bed a little bit earlier. I haven't been sleeping as much as I want to because have you heard about the weather down here? No, what's been going on? So the weather for like the last week here has been super crazy, right? And I I, I know like I always joke about that, like the weather here is crazy. Like you know, I think you've heard me talk about like. I remember, like, when it snowed here a few years ago for the first time in, like, over a decade. I played golf in, like, the same week or something like that. You know, like, in, in like, pants and a, t- in a, in a short sleeve shirt or whatever. You know, that kind of weather. But um, every day for the past, like, four or five days, it has rained. And I don't mean that it's, like, you know, yeah, normal like a rain. shower in the afternoon. If, if, if anyone's seen Forrest Gump when he talks about the rain over in Vietnam, it's, it's that kind of rain. Like, it's just, it has not stopped. It's been super aggressive. And um, it's been a lot while we're sleeping, and that doesn't sound like a big problem, but the thing is, is, like, what's been happening is, it's, like, practically been a hurricane, the force that it's come through. Like, it's, we got hit by, like, multiple hurricanes in the last, like, calendar year. This is, this, these rains every night have been worse than any of those, literally any of them. The wind has been absurd, like, it's been throwing stuff around our neighborhood, like, someone had a, um, like, a tent thing set up in their backyard, you know, like, a little canopy. And it got thrown across the entire neighborhood and ended up in somebody else's house. Like, my garbage can got flung across the street. And, like, you know, I had to go pick up all the garbage, which was super fun because it was, like, wet and gross and stuff. Yeah, wet garbage. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. So this is happening every night. The other crazy part about it is is it's extremely loud. And there's a lot of, like, lightning and thunder. Like, it's literally shaking the house. There's a lot of lightning. So it wakes up my dog. It wakes up my wife because she's super sensitive to light, obviously. And it wakes me up. So every night... Somewhere around like three or four o'clock, maybe five in the morning. It's still dark outside, right? I have her like attach herself to me and the dog. Like, because my dog is better than most about like fireworks and uh, weather and stuff. Like, she's not a, she's not like, what's the word I'm looking for here? She's not like a scaredy dog, you know, like a scaredy yeah. cat, or, like a scaredy I, dog. I've noticed that it's the big dogs that are, mm-hmm. that are more scared of thunder and lightning. Mine mostly is like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Like, I don't give a shit. You know, like, I'm so small, it'll never hit me. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, oh, yeah. But no, but she's been like, my dog is also one of the people, she, she, she loves to cuddle, right? Like, my dog wants attention and being touched, like, all day, every day, except for when she's tired. When she wants to sleep, she does not want to be touched. But now, she's, like, cuddling herself into me at night because she wants to feel, like, you know, more secure and safe or whatever. And so I'm not used to that. So it's, like, bothering me, you know, kind of thing. So, like, first world problems, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just the weather's bad and it's, like, keeping us awake and I, I can't sleep and stuff. So, like, dealing with that has been I'm, – I'm probably overblowing it, but it's, you know, it's messing up my sleep schedule. I'm an old man. I like my sleep schedule, et cetera, et cetera. So we're both sleep-deprived. We're both old men. Mm-hmm. Confirmed. Yeah. Uh, it's a great time to do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I, I say that we kind of uh, don't diddle-daddle too much on this podcast today because I actually have stuff that I want to do in about an hour and 40 minutes. So I want to try to get this done and like get through all the stuff that we want to get through. Uh, I meant to say at the beginning, for everybody who's listening, we're doing um, our top eight episode that we usually do. I know that we usually have video with it, but Ross's computer is still in the fritz. So it's kind of hard for us to do video for this, but we're going to do it as well as we can yeah. without the video. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to, you know, you're. I, I tend to keep my reviews to constructed oriented and competitive constructed i don't know how much limited and you know commander stuff is on your lists i went with your stuff okay but but i assume you have been playing some limited because the set's been out on arena for a couple days oh you'd think that ross <laughs> oh you'd think that oh i, I mean okay. I, I see people posting on, on twitter and they're playing and i people are streaming and so i assume you're one of those people right God, this, uh, we didn't need a side rant, but here it comes. So, yes, I signed in uh, yesterday when it was when it was on, right? Like you know, it became live okay, in arena. That's that's step one, right? I'm gonna walk you through my day, okay? I'm gonna walk you through my day, okay? So I sign in, and uh, at this point, everyone knows about like signing in on release day and the small things that come with that, right? And so like I almost don't even notice it anymore. Like you know, stuff's a little bit slower. It reacts a little bit slower. Blah blah blah. You know, I sit on the table, uh, digital digitally you know, VR wise, I sit on the table to draft, whatever you want to call it. I still say that because remember on Moto, they would literally sit you at a table back in the day. Your avatar would be like at a table. Oh yeah. I remember yeah, it was that. So cool. Yeah. By the way, bring that shit back. But you, <laughs> and you, you could look in the room and you would see, you know, hundreds of tables yeah. with people sitting at them, all it the different like avatars. Yeah. It yeah. looked like Gen Con. Yeah. So it looked um, like Gen Con if Gen Con were held in like 14th century England. <laughs> and they were demons and stuff in yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. your avatar like literally was your flagons of ale on the table <laughs> yeah yeah so um i like i sign up for a first draft and it's pretty uneventful i get through the draft and then when the draft is over i can't get out of like the draft screen and it's like can't finish you know think about can't finish the draft i'm like well that's a new one I'm like why can't I finish <laughs> the draft i'm the only person at the table and there's no cards I, uh, oh, oh i'll i'll hold you for a second how good was your deck at least, how good do you uh, think it was? It was, it was, it, it, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't understand a, a small thing in the format, and uh, I like was on the draw with a little bit of a slower deck, so I lost more than I like. But okay, so, so you, was, you did eventually get to play games of Magic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get there. Yeah, okay, I, I got to play a few. Interesting, yeah, yeah. nice foreshadowing there. Yeah. So uh, eventually, so I have to like turn the the program off, turn it back on. I get into my game. Then I play a few games. I get the typical problem that a lot of people do where when the game is over, it constantly just sits you in the screen and like it's trying to update that the game is over and go to the next one. So you have to like turn the game off and turn the game back on. You turn arena off and turn arena back on to get like to get that thing processed. So it's like, okay, these are all the typical problems that happen. Sometimes it works itself out. Sometimes it's, you know, something that you have to deal with and it's not the end of the world, right? Like you can, you can deal with this, right? So I do all that. Uh, I play a few games and, um, when I get done with my draft, you know, when you get done with your draft, it says, it says like claim prize. You have to physically click the button claim prize to like finish the draft. Yeah. Well, so I click the button. Nothing happens. I click the button again and the little prompt comes up on the screen and it says, um, unable to claim prize at this time. Try again later. So I wait about five seconds. I do it again and do this for about a minute or two straight. It never works. I turn arena off, turn it back on, because we know that's the that's the fix. It's that or you blow into the cartridge. You know, the, the, the universal fix. So I uh, I do that. I turn it off, turn it back on. Still won't work, right? Still won't work. So I, I can't claim my prize. I go back and forth with a bunch of different things for about 20 minutes trying to figure it out. Can't get it to work, right? So I'm like, all right, 
maybe that thing's bugged. And that was the like best of one queue. So I was like, screw it. I'll go to the best of three queue. I, I want to draft this set. I do the best of three queue, have some of the same problems that I did the first time, but I get through the queue. I draft a deck, right? I go to um, make my deck and the program freaks out. I don't remember exactly what happens or blah, 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 but I turn it off and I turn it back on. Now the program won't get through the initial loading screen. Like I forgot exactly what screen it is. I have it written down somewhere because I sent them a token about this. You know, like I sent an email. I can't even get into the program now. So I pull it up and it just sits at the, one of the main screens, like loading or whatever, right? So I'm like, this is weird. So I, you know, I start talking about it on Twitter and someone else is like, yeah, I got the same problem. I went through a progression of other problems to get here. I was like, yeah, I had the exact same thing you did. It's almost like the program goes through a progression and corrupts itself. So I uh, uninstall the program, reinstall it, right? And start going through all this stuff. So all these problems are happening. So I go to their website and go through the, uh, the FAQs before, you know, bothering them with more bombardment of emails. of like, this doesn't work. I'm gonna try to fix it myself, right? You know, see if I can't do it without involving someone else and waiting the hours for them to respond. And I see some of the stuff that it says, it's like, oh, it could be like one of these like five issues on your, on your computer. So I start going through it and I'm like, oh, wait, there's an easy way to figure out if this is a problem locally or not locally. So I call up Brian Visoko. And I'm like, hey, Brian, what are you doing? He's like, you know, I'm working over. Can you do, I'm like, can you do me a favor real quick? He's like, sure. I'm like, sign into my arena account. If, if you can't sign in, then it's a problem with my account. If you can sign in, then it's a problem locally. Like, you know, something's wrong with like, they said that like, you know, one of your caches might be messed up or something, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Some files the problem's on your end, not theirs. Right. Immediately he's like, yeah, I don't even get past the screen. I'm like, oh yeah, then it's, then it's uh, a problem with the account, not with my thing. Cool. That's good. So I email them and they're like, I think they're aware of the problem, but they're not hundred percent sure what it is yet. I think this is a new one. Cause they're asking me for like all kinds of information. They're like, Hey, can you send us like these files, these files and this, which I haven't done yet. I need to get around to doing that. But I think they're going to look into it and be like, Oh, here's the problem that we're seeing across the board. And everybody's here's the fix kind of thing. Right. There's another twist to the story that makes it even better. It makes me feel like complete shit. Brian messages me about 30 minutes ago, before, you know, right before we're doing this and he goes, Hey, uh, can you get Watsy to finish your arena uh, to fix your arena account, please? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I'd like for them to fix it too, man. Thanks. For, thanks for caring. Like, you know, I appreciate it. And he goes, no, there's, there's another problem. And I'm like, what he goes, I can't sign out of your account because I can't get past this opening screen. So I can't sign into arena now either. So now my account problem has screwed over him. So now he can't play arena because when he turns on arena and I was like, oh, just uninstall it. And when he reinstall, it, ask you to sign in. He goes, did that it won't, won't even, won't even get there. So it's like completely corrupted his, well, his might not be corrupted, but you get what I'm saying? That's probably the wrong way to say it. So like now he's got this problem because it won't even get past one of these screens. So now I've screwed him over. He's like, yeah, I like have to play on my phone now if I want to play. And I'm like, yeah, first world problems or complaining about not being able to play a game, but like fix your shit. You know what I mean? Like you've, this is what the 11th set or whatever they've put out on arena or some shit. Like, come on. Like, yeah, I, I just think of, you know, what was it, two or three years ago when Arena launched? And all the positive press, everyone was so impressed was, with it. I was unbelievably positive. Like, yeah. especially for me. I sang yeah. their praises, and rightfully so. It was an amazing program, and it blew it out of the water, what people expected. But the expectations were low. Yeah, everyone was super skeptical going in. And it feels like they've been riding that initial wave for quite some mm -hmm. time. And they are they currently riding it into a sewer. Yeah, it bought a lot of goodwill, right, from the community. And, you know, there's there's part of me, and we, you and I made jokes about this. A lot of people made jokes about this. 
Um, we may have taken it too far in versus. You know, you and Corey had a lot of good jokes with it. And <laughs> I put something in the chat that was also very good, but probably a little callous. But there's part of me that wonders if this was like part of the final straw, getting rid of the the um, what do they call it? The the you know the the the, the day before where you got all the cards, the the streamers got everything. The early access event. Early access event. I couldn't think of the I th- couldn't think of the word. If maybe this is one of the reasons they got rid of early access, besides the fact that it makes them no money, et cetera, et cetera, and they're probably not seeing enough profit out of it, but maybe they knew that there was another problem and they were like, whatever, we're getting the stuff out on time and we'll just fix it as it goes. But like they didn't want it happening on early access and people not signing in the day of because you're given enough time to sign in and buy stuff and spend money, right? Like I, I got one, bought the gems I needed to play. And then, like, that's the other part that really pisses me off. I want to, I want to, you know, email them and be like, I love how the program works long enough for me to purchase things and spend money, but not long enough for me to actually use the product of which I purchased. And a lot of people are having this problem and it just pisses me off. And I was in kind of a good mood about it overall. Now I'm getting kind of mad again, just thinking about all the other shit they did this week where like they just out of nowhere canceled this program that a lot of people actually really like and look forward to. I'm actually, and it's funny because I used they to also canceled it with like without warning after making it seem for the last mm-hmm. few months like it was going to happen. They like they emailed them at like three a.m. or something like that, yeah. like two like two days before or something like that, and like not even everybody got the email. And like like here's the thing, I don't do it anymore, but I used to get the emails and stuff for it. I didn't get the email this time. What if I was like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again this time because I used to do it. You know, I used to I used to get all the you know I used to do all the 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 early access events like you know the free stuff that they send all the big names. You know, you always see them like, oh, thanks, Watsy. They send them some free shit. You know, I, I even got one of those things once, which I think they made a mistake sending me, me the one. Also, they sent me the one that's like, obviously, I'm going to complain here. They sent me like the cheapest one that didn't actually have magic cards. They sent me the um, the Ixalan one or whatever, where it's like, you know, you're exploring. Maybe it was Ixalan. I can't remember. It might have been. Ixalan um, was Explorer. One of the ones that was like exploring and it was like a, they sent me like a bandana, a canteen and like some other stuff. You know what I mean? Like it was like an Explorer's kit or whatever, like with a map or something. I don't remember. You know, it was either that or like one of the one of the newer sets. I don't remember, but you know, I was like, wait, why was like what list did they use that had me on here with my address? Because like, you know, McFishy or uh, whatever, um, she she you know she had me on all the stuff or whatever. But I haven't done it in a long time. So anyway, I'm angry overall. I think it's all stupid. I think it's all shitty. Um, obviously, like the business side of me, like the shrewd businessman in me, who like you know you know when I went to college and did all the stuff for that. It's like, yeah, this is not cost effective. Cut the program. It's stupid. Like, whatever. You know, I'm not saying it's stupid, but like the businessman in me is like, you know, you get what I'm trying to say there. I didn't want anybody to take that the wrong way. And like, yeah, it just makes sense not to do this because it doesn't actually make them any money and stuff like that. And like, it's not going to direct. I don't think people are going to open exponential more packs because of this, you know, blah, blah, blah. It might cost them more money to get it. But though, again, in classic Watsy uh, tradition, it's just handled heinously. And without it, without a word, I also think like it, it does. It would drive some amount of sales. I'm sure that you know they have numbers, but like they in my mind, yeah. you know, people will see decks that they wouldn't have otherwise thought of. Say that's a really cool idea, and, and might cash point. in some wild cards that they wouldn't otherwise cash in, yep. or buy packs to get you know cards that they they need for those decks that they see. And and then I'm thinking like even if the number, even if the revenue that it drives is small, what is the cost of this? And that's the thing. It's like. Uh, apparently costs more than we know or has man hours attached to it or person hours attached to it more than we know and they just don't want to allocate whatever that is anymore that that's that's what it comes down to i'm i'm 
I'm not 100% here, but that, that has to be what it comes down to. And yeah. just, I don't know. It just pisses me off. I think it about all of it. I will say this. I know we're shitting on Watsy a lot right here. They had some tweets go out the other day that I think is actually awesome. And they need to do this a little bit more where they were like kind of upfront and just like uh, transparent about what's going on with some stuff. They were like, we're changing all this stuff on Moto. You know, like they made this announcement earlier in the week about like organized play on Moto and like, you know, how to qualify for the PT or whatever. You know, I, I can't even keep yeah. up with the names of the things anymore. And it wasn't received super well. So like, hey, all right, so we're, we're tweaking this. Um, we finally fixed this bug that y'all been talking about for a while that, you know, is, is a problem and, you know, it messes with organized play. And they were transparent about a bunch of other things. They were like, we know about this other bug that's really bad. We haven't fixed it yet, but it's like on the agenda, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was a very transparent, like talking to you. We're aware of your problems tweet. And I was like, this shouldn't be the outlier. This should be the norm with you guys. There should be someone that like, and I don't think they understand how far this goes with the community and how well this would resonate with them if they're just every now and then letting them know, hey, we hear you. We're working on some of this stuff. Or at least tell us, hey, look, we know this is a problem. We're not working on it right now because we can't. But it's on our, you know, with something we are going to get to because that is way better than never addressing a problem, letting it sit and stew and people getting pissed off about it and, and constant, constantly like tweeting about it and talking about it like, there's this problem, there's this problem, and it's radio silence from Watsy. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's been their MO for years, so, you know, I mean, what, why what would we expect, expect right? anything different? Yeah, because, yeah, like, here's the thing. I, I've learned a long time ago the best way to handle this is just to not have expectations, and it kind of goes back to what we're talking about with Arena, right? My expectations were, well, like, what's the, what's the sign that's associated with, like, Black Lives Matters and stuff right now where it's just, like, the expectations we had for you were low, but Jesus Christ or whatever, like on the sign, you know, you know, something like that, you know, it's just, it, it's like that, right? Like, or it's the, the Simpsons meme with the, with the cake. Well, at least you tried and you like, <laughs> yeah, and then he the, the garbage. He, he does like the cat move, just shifts it off the table. And yeah, 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 exactly. That's, that's one of my favorite ones, by the way, that one's so good. And it's, there's it, a, there's a lot of good Simpsons gifs, by the way. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm aware. Like uh, I, I, I follow the two main people on Twitter who use them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so sorry to kind of go off there. Like I said, you, we were going to, we we're going to be on time and really well focused. And then, yeah, well we were, and then we got some breaking news during that last rant about the Utah jazz. Uh, what's that? Apparently Dwayne Wade has purchased an ownership stake. That's really cool actually. And he had plan, uh, the plans to take an active role in the franchise and the region. Please, please tell me. That next year during the preseason, he's going to suit up for a game. In <laughs> that's that's what I want to see. Like, that's I, do, I, I don't think that will happen, but I think you will see you will see I him around you, a little bit. I bet you he can. I bet you he can still ball a little bit. Like, there's no way he's like you know doing I mean, weight or whatever. But he was pretty washed a couple years ago in his last year in Miami. I, I'm just gonna say like he could get out there and like take a few shots and run up and down the court. Like, I don't yeah. think he's like you know he's not like Charles Barkley or no, I'm not making fun of Barkley. But you know, what I mean, he's not like physically unable to play anymore. Yeah. or Shaq, you know, he's not that. But old. I, I I doubt he does that. But it's the, it's it's cool to have him around. Um, I know he he and Donovan have had a close relationship for several years now, so I imagine that was part of this reason. Apparently, he's also friends with the new owner, uh, Ryan Smith. You know, Ryan Smith bought the the franchise uh, in the off season. It was last fall from the or bought majority stake from the the Larry H. Miller Group, uh, who had owned it for decades. Uh, he's a he owned he he created Qualtrics. Ryan Smith, yeah, if yeah, you know Qualtrics, yeah. yeah. 
uh, sold it, you know, a couple of years ago and has been looking to get in the NBA yeah. ever since. Yeah, he's a billionaire. Um, but cool to have Dwayne Wade around. Uh, it'll be funny to see Miami. I- I'm waiting to see Miami Heat fans' reactions because I like he's so beloved by that franchise. I assumed that you know their assumption was that he would eventually be involved with right. the Heat franchise. Now he's involved with the Jazz, uh, so that'll be hilarious. But you know, two things kind of cool to have Dwayne Wade around. Yeah, two things. A, um, I love it when this happens because like they always say, oh, I'm going to take an active role, and I would I would love to hear how much active role they actually take and how much you know their words matter. Because, like, a lot of times, like, they're probably actually going to hinder more things than they help. Because, like, you know, like, because of little things like that. And then, B, um, I'm going to I'm gonna love seeing him, like, do the Mark Cuban thing. He's going to be, like, behind the bench, like, in a suit, you know, like, watching yeah, yeah. the game from there. And, the like, Steve Ballmer, the just, like, going nuts when yeah. they... I'll tell you this. I can tell you right now, if I was a coach and I had a system that was working really well, like, in Utah, like, you know, y'all are... Y'all are killing it over the last few years, right? You've seen improvement every year. Like, this, people are buying into the system, blah, blah, blah. If I saw him, like, taking a player aside and talking to them and, like, it looked like he was coaching him, I would just look at – I would just be so mad. I'd be like, dude, what do you do? You're not part of the coach. Like, come into the coaching people. Talk to us. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like those are my players kind of thing. And, like, maybe it's a bad way to think about it, but I think you can harm the team more than help it sometimes. And it always – I always love it when the players get involved because, like – you know, like remember Magic Johnson and was with the Dodgers for a while, and he was like, "Is he no longer with the ownership group of the Dodgers?" I, I'm not sure if he's like still technically there, but they they made him take a like he took a step back after something happened. I forgot what. Maybe it was like he was doing more basketball stuff now. So he he was he also had a, a minority ownership stake in the Lakers for a while, right. and was you know in the front office, and then got in trouble for tweeting about other players, and then just decided to sell his, his stake basically so he could randomly tweet whenever he felt like it. Which was hilarious. Because because the thing is, is like you hear that, and when I hear them saying, "Oh, they buy a minority," they probably got something like zero point zero seven percent, or so you know, just because like I don't yeah. know if a they want to put the amount of money that it takes to get this, and b you know it causes a lot of problems. Like there's a new one going on with the Timberwolves right now, a Rod. You know, Alex Rodriguez with the Major League yeah, Baseball, he bought the Timberwolves along with some people, and I think that's what they're doing. They're using someone who is an athlete as like a figurehead for the for the buying group you know that has like this this face of the buying group and like did you did you hear the quote like they were talking to some of the players and one of the players they were like yeah how do you feel about alex rodriguez you know buying the timberwolves and the guy's like who is that i don't even know who that is like one of the one of the one of the best players had no idea who alex rodriguez was which was which is hilarious that is so hilarious yeah. oh yeah it was i laughed my ass okay. off like this guy's great i love this so guy. so there's like five or six former nba players now that have ownership stakes in franchises and speaking of hilarious things, one of them is Shaquille O'Neal, who has had a minority stake in the Kings since 2013, okay? Last night, the Kings played, and there was a TNT show. I don't know if they were on TNT, but they were one of the games. And their starting center, Rashawn Holmes, was out due to injury or some other reason. I, I know he didn't play, but I assume injury, uh, but maybe something else. And uh, and that meant Hassan Whiteside, who had been pushed out of the rotation. They have a young backup that they've been trying to give minutes to late in the season. So Whiteside hasn't been playing. He stepped into the backup role, and the other guy stepped into the starter role. And Shaquille O'Neal admitted on the TNT broadcast that he did not know that Hassan Whiteside was on the Kings roster. He is a minority owner of yep. the franchise. And that's what I'm talking and about. And like, an analyst for one of the largest, you know, NBA sports shows. Which one is more embarrassing? I I don't know. I think um, they're both very embarrassing. Yeah. Like, the, the thing is... Him not knowing people are on different rosters is just a thing that we've known uh, for a while 
and mailing in the, the, the analyst part. But him not yeah, knowing the Kings would. roster is probably more embarrassing because there's a little bit more expectation there at this point. I think I'm 100% with you on there. Because like the thing is, when you watch him answer questions, and I know that I've been guilty of this before. But when you watch him answer questions, if you've ever been in an analytical role before doing something, you know, magic-related, sports-related, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You can tell when someone is 100% firing from the hip or when they oh, prepared yeah. answers and like, or, or are you can, you can even fire from the hip. There's been, there's, there's some really good people, like some of the biggest people like ESPN and, you know, Fox sports broadcasting, any of the big ones. There's some guys and, and women there that you tell fire from the hip, but like, they're so well knowledge and educated on what they're talking about. It does not matter. Shaq does not fall into these categories and you can tell that he is firing from the hip and just saying stuff. And then like, he'll make a joke or he'll make an, you know, analogy, like he'll make an analogy to like, you know, his playing days or whatever. And you're like, did you even listen to the question? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and he'll give, give Chuck some shit about not having a ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He'll make some joke about having her. My, my favorite the other day is when he was getting um, absolutely destroyed by, um, who was it? Was it Cheryl Miller? Who was, uh, not Cheryl. Oh, Miller, Candace um, Parker has been Candace doing Parker. analysis. Yeah. And she is great, by the she way. She is amazing. I, yeah. I don't know why I said Cheryl Miller do, used to do coverage for them yeah, back in the day, a, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so, like, yeah, she, I, I guess his, 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 I haven't watched a lot lately because of baseball, but, man, Parker is, whew, she's a real deal. Yeah, she, she's been killing it. The Tuesday show is, is better than the Thursday show. Like, the Tuesday is sort of like they're, like, up-and-coming people. They have Dwayne Wade on a lot. Um, you You'll know, probably have to stop Can, doing Candace that. Candace Parker. Sha- Shaq does it with them. So he's the one guy from Thursday that he does both days uh, regularly. That's where you see the the Candace and Shaq uh, stuff. I'm assuming I'm assuming Dwayne has to stop now, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it, well, it's official like, he cannot be on that show anymore. But but I mean, Shaq has been minority owner of the Kings for years and still does oh, it. True. So I, uh, I can't imagine that he's going to be. Yeah. He can't say yeah. certain things. I'm surprised Shaq has gotten himself in trouble yet. But yeah, I, I don't know how that works. I don't really care. But yeah, it'll exactly. be the, yeah. the the thing that I think is going to be. Uh, important for to have Dwayne Wade around and I hope you know makes a difference is in recruiting because Utah has long been not a free agent destination for anyone ever and one of the big things for the the new ownership group for Ryan Smith was trying to turn that around right and you know they got Boyan Bogdanovich as a free agent a couple two years ago which was pretty big they got Joe Johnson a couple years before that towards the end of his career and like for most for most big franchises, that would be like you know a disappointing sign. Joe Johnson getting Joe Johnson on that Jazz team was like one of the biggest free agent signings they've ever had, right? Thirty four year old Joe Johnson was like as a bench in a bench role for ten million dollars a year for two years was like everybody's celebrating. Dude, so I, I, I'm a fan of the New Orleans Pelicans. I I understand. Yeah, <laughs> we cannot get so, a new, we cannot get a free agent. Well, like Wade as that face, you know, who will have now knowledge of the franchise can communicate to people because you know. Obviously, like, you know, a lot of NBA players don't want to live in Utah, and I get that. But as far as the franchise goes, you know, they built a you know state-of-the-art facility, practice facility, and everything a couple years ago, uh, you know, and they have incredible facilities. They have a great franchise. So those things are things that you can sell people on. Now, obviously, like, they have a very successful franchise, especially right now. So hopefully, you know, they can get a big free agent, you know, over the next, you know, five years with Dwayne Wade around um, because right now that like they've got some guys who are, who are older. Bogey is, you know, 32 Conley's 33, 34 Ingles is 33. So, you know, those three guys two years down the line are not going to be what they are now. And they're going to need to retool a little bit as Donovan enters his prime and Rudy comes to the, towards the end of his prime because Rudy's in his prime now. 
whereas Donovan's still only 24. You know, he's two, three years away. So that's that's the place where I'm excited with Dwayne Wade. I don't think he's going to be super involved with actual basketball decisions, but to be that face and to talk to players, have those relationships with NBA players and, you know, up-and-coming NBA players to make Utah a much more appealing destination uh, can be very helpful for that franchise. No, absolutely. That's, that's a big deal. You know, it's, it's like I said, for New Orleans, we can't sign a free agent either. Like, all the best players we've had either drafted or traded for, you know, like... There's, like, five franchises that are free agent destinations, right? It, it's, you know... All the big it's ones, Bro- yeah. It's Brooklyn, Miami, uh, the two L.A. teams, and Golden State. Yeah. Right? And, like, in maybe, 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 it hasn't been lately, but, like, if they're good, the Knicks, like, can be a... Yeah, the, the Knicks can definitely be one, but, yeah. like... Until Dolan leaves the ownership, it feels like it's never going to be one. Oh, they're they're screwed, yeah. And like with Brooklyn there now, it's not like they're only they're the only game in town anymore. Yeah, you can go literally across the bridge, and there's like another team. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, exactly. Boston is kind of a free agent destination because of their legacy, but less mm-hmm. so. You know, cold weather. Uh, yeah, but they're exactly. mostly warm weather cities. Some of the like Dallas, Houston, a little bit. You Did know, you say the, Miami. The, yeah, Miami's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're always a big one. Uh, especially with Pat Riley yeah, yeah, My, they're they were they were in that five, but like the rest of the league is just is, generally struggles to get free agents. But Utah is like bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, if right. you look at if you look at the rosters that Stockton and Malone had to carry, yeah. they were bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and move into the magic latest stuff. I want to try to get this episode finished and done with before uh, the the time that I have something that I need to do today. And so this is our uh, top eight list with overrated and underrated. Yeah, so we're going to go 8 to 2, then we'll do overrated, underrated, and then you'll get our number 1. Uh, I also have a card, uh, real quick, uh, it's just a wait and see kind of thing, because I didn't want to put it on any of the list today, but I do think it's something in the future, and if you listen to one of the other sh- earlier shows we talked about it, I do think that Mila Luka, the, the flip card, the red-white flip card with Luka on the back, I do think that card has a chance to be very good in the future. So it's one of the ones where if that card kind of starts hovering at a price range where it's really low... Or, you know, you're just going to get cards. Might as well try to get them now. So just in case in the future, they're not like, you know, $40 cards or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I do think there's I'll a get, chance. I'll give one. you my wait and see, and it's Awaken the Blood Avatar. Yeah. Card could be a complete brick, but I kind of like it. I think yeah, it I does like some powerful stuff. I think that th- the body, that 3-6, dodges a lot of removal. It doesn't get... Um, so the black removal hits it, but the white removal, for the most part, doesn't. Because it dodges Giant Killer and... Uh, Skyclave apparition and it dodges basically all the red removal. So white and red removal really doesn't touch it, uh, and there's definitely plenty of ways to uh, to enable it. So we'll, those are our honorable mentions, I guess. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so number eight. What do you got, Tannen? I have Callous Blood Mage, and uh, this is a card that um, I know you've been kind of a fan of. Like looking at it, it's like kind of a card that's in the mold of cards that you like. You know, it provides like multiple bodies or provides a little bit of card advantage or it can even be a main deck hate card. Now, the reason I have this at number eight is because I do think this is a card that can make constructed and standard, like historic, you know, some stuff like that. Um, Maybe even into Pioneer if, you know, mono black aggro and vampires is still a thing there when the new sets come out. I don't think this is a card that's going to be jammed of like four of, but this is a card that could be a slight upgrade to some of the cards that they have now that they're using for like sideboard cards as graveyard hate, where... This is a creature that has a creature type that's important. It's a vampire, right? So instead of playing, you know, some of this crappy graveyard removal, maybe this card is just a step up because it also does the main thing that the deck is trying to do, 
which is put creatures, you know, black creatures, vampires into play, attacking your opponent. And then it's not a total brick in other matchups if you wanted to, like, main deck this card. Because, you know, it gets to make an extra pest, uh, you know, that can, you know, gain some life and drain them and make an extra body if you need, you know, you need it for that kind of thing. So maybe you can see it showing up in, in another deck where, hey, like, this deck needs creatures to sacrifice. This is two, uh, two for one body with also some other upsides, you know, kind of like the red-black sacrifice decks that have, you know, fallen off the face of the earth, but the ones that you like very much. Um, against the control decks, you can draw an extra card with it and then against you know the combo decks whatever you can exile the graveyard so this is a card i can see being a decent role player if the niche is needed yeah i i don't see this being a sideboard card because it's not overtly powerful like right. it, you know, when i think of cyber cards i think narrow but powerful this is very much a main deck card to me it is like you said it's one i like it was a it was a late cut for me this one did not make my list but i wouldn't be surprised if i'm uh mad at myself for not putting it up there this is would definitely be in that you know nine to fifteen range. Um, I've been a little disappointed with just the rate of it playing with it a bit on versus, but I do expect it to see play in standard this season because valuable main deck graveyard hate of this caliber, you know, m- more robust than scavenging news, is something that is needed right now in the standard metagame with rogues and cycling. So this is a card that you can main deck that is going to do solid work, you know, against aggro decks. It's going to generate value in mid-range control mirrors. And then against rogues and cycling, it's a hammer. Because you can target your own graveyard against rogues. You can target their graveyard against cycling uh, and really shut them down. Uh, And so um, I think this card will see some play. I don't think it's going to be a world beater, but it'll be a solid role player. Uh, And then, like you said, the fact that it's a vampire gives it some potential in historic and uh pioneer where that vampire tribe is, has definitely seen some representation so uh, i definitely expect this one to see play but i don't expect it to see a ton of play right that's that's pretty much where i was at what's your number eight my number eight is magma opus a card okay. that i have grown on over the couple weeks of versus live easily the best name in the set too like not not even yes close. i agree yeah. um a card that you know i thought at its mana cost, was actually going to be not impactful enough, even though, you know, it reads pretty nice. Four damage divided easy to choose. Draw two cards, tap two things. And, though know, the impact has been pretty solid casting this card. I think the... I've been pretty impressed with just making a bunch of treasures in standard with those decks and their ability to just cast really expensive cards. And Magma Opus is one of them. People are now playing it in, you know, in older formats. I see a bunch of histor- I've seen a bunch of historic lists with it. I know I tagged you in one last night that uh, Andrew Jessup was playing. My heart rate uh, went through the roof when I saw the picture of that deck. By the way. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I, and and I've been, I've just generally been impressed by it with the ways that that it's been enabled. I didn't think it, you know, people were going to be able to cast this card as easily as they were, and I didn't think it was going to be as impactful when they did. You know, it's neither was you know hugely above expectations, but it was a little bit above expectations on both metrics, and that was enough to really raise this card stock for me. So I, I expect this one to just be around and be good. So it, it makes number, squeaks in at number eight. So I'm going to talk about it for a minute because this was on my list too. I have it at number six with like an up arrow next to it. You know, like when you see lists online of like top ten this, and there's like one has an up arrow, one has a down arrow because this one this one's trending up, this one's trending yeah. down, kind of thing. Um. I loved this card the first time I read it. 
Mostly because you know me, I like big, expensive. I'm like the poor man Shaheen Sarani. I like expensive instants and sorceries that do really powerful things, and I love Torrential Gearhulk. When I saw this card, I was like, "This is one of the best Torrential Gearhulk enablers we've seen in quite a while because it's a big, expensive." Like when you think of Gearhulk, you think of like dig through time, right? The fact that you can pay two mana for this really expensive, powerful thing, and then you get to Gearhulk it again. So you get to kind of like circumvent the the. The, the I keep saying converting mana cost, the mana value of a card. I'm going to try to make myself do this. I'm trying to make that right. I'm trying to make fetch happen. So um, I think this card is very good. I think people are underrating how good the discard ability is. The fact that you can just like discard it, make a treasure, and then like, you know, kind of like skip up a turn in the, in the mana curve. Um, the card itself is really powerful. I think you're going to see some... Pretty, pretty cool tempo-ish decks with this. If, if you have a Gearhulk decks where, like, can you imagine, like, putting this into the graveyard and then on, like, turn five, you're Gearhulking in their upkeep to kill their creature, uh, make a 4-4 four, four, and tap two of their lands? Like, they they might have just died. Like, they might not be able to recover from this. Oh, yeah, and you get a 4-4 four, four out of it. And you get I even four, forgot four. that it's, part. It's, it's, it's a, it, it adds nine power with a Gearhulk. It taps two of their permanents. And, like, drawing two cards is, like, whatever. Because, like, you're tapped out and, like, they're probably dead or whatever, it's right? A, it's a really, really impactful spell. You yeah. know, and so, that's clear. You know, we've seen, we've seen some, some cool stuff. Like, um, we saw Jessup's version of this. And uh, what's the name of the, the mythic? It's Creative... Uh, indomitable Creativity? Yeah, Indomitable Creativity. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a cool, cheap way to make this happen super fast, yeah. right? There's a there's some Sphinx that, like, casts a spell from your graveyard, and that was the deck was built around. So you can, like, make treasure with the Magma Opus, then Indomitable Creativity, the treasure, hit the Sphinx, cast the Magma Opus. Well, no, you just do it with Gearhulk, because it does it, it finds an artifact, and it's the only artifact in your deck, because your spells make artifacts. It's kind of like Transmogify, you make creature tokens. I think, I think they had both, so it's just more well, redundant. Yeah, I don't know if his had both. His version. Okay. Of it. I need to look at. Yeah, the I, I I can't remember the exact list. The, the I've seen lists with, decks, with everything. Yeah, the way he builds his decks is it's kind of like the way I do. It's like no nonsense. Like you know, if you need to add that stuff later, you will. But like you mostly just like move in on it. You know what I mean? You're just like I'm I'm like no filler, all thriller. I'm trying to pull up the. I'm buying time to pull up the photo right now. Where Ross can see that I'm doing that. But um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just a big fan of this card overall. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if this card is a dud. I wouldn't be surprised if it's very impactful and you know. It needs to be played in the format um, standard. We'll have to see. Uh, I do think maybe the format will be slow enough that you can cast this. So we'll, we'll see or whatever. But this is a pretty cool one. I like this card a lot. It jumps off the page when you read it. I think it's very powerful. And it's my kind of magic. So I will be casting this card quite a bit. Whether it's good or not, I don't care. Okay, Tannen. What is your number seven? Uh, so this one's a pretty cool one. Uh, another high one on the name in this set. And that's Belladross Witherbloom. This Ooh. is the yeah. This is the Golgari drag, uh, Elder Dragon. I'm pretty um, surprised I, by this one. Yeah, I, I think here's the thing. I don't think we're wrong in the way that we're talking about this set is underpowered, right? Like overall, there's not a lot of cards that jump off the page. There's not a lot of cards that seem super super powerful. There's not a lot of cards that scream build around me. This card is a card that could possibly go into existing decks already, like the Sultai Ultimatum decks or whatever. Blah blah blah. You know that you know if you find a spot where uh, like you get to cast this, untap all your lands, cast Soulty Ultimatum, like you know, just a bunch of things like that. Maybe it works with the time walks in in killing your opponent really well. You can cast this, untap your lands, time walk, kill them, kind of thing, or do some other you know broken stuff because you know you get a bunch of pests that way because you're like my upkeep, my upkeep, your upkeep, my upkeep, kind of thing. Um, so I see this card 
And I think it's the fact that, yeah, maybe this is just a commander card. But if this shows up into standard, it'll probably be like a one or two of or in, you know, whatever format you want to play it in. Whatever it does is going to be very, very powerful and very, very unfair. And, you know, those are the kind of cards that when they when they do show up, they're very impactful. So, yeah, I, I will say this. I have had this card cast once on versus Corey did it uh, in a position where they could pay the 10 life and untap their lands. And it was busted. The yeah, game ended fair. on the spot. Uh, so a very, a very, very powerful ability. For me, I think it's going to fall short just because it's seven mana instead of six. Yeah, that's I think if you could have cast this on six, untap, cast Professor Onyx, you know, I'd be a lot, a lot happier with it. But at seven mana, it's now competing with, as you said, ultimatums, specifically Emergent Ultimatum. And Emergent Ultimatum sort of kind of does a similar thing, right? You get two spells for one. Here you get seven mana and then another seven mana. But Emergent Ultimatum doesn't cost you ten life. And one of the spells is not uh, is probably still better than a 4-4 four, four flyer, though maybe Vorinclex is worse. Um, I will say this. It did Thinking along the lines that you just did, I did kind of go down that thought about like, yeah, that card's better. But one of the main ways people fight and beat those decks are they bring in like Duress, Negate, and uh, Mystical Dispute. And this is like a card that you could play either in like your sideboard or is like this could now be your plan as your big finish that dodge all of those cards. Uh, yeah, though people do also have Disdainful Stroke. Yeah, of course. I'm saying nothing's and perfect, Ross. Usually the, usually the plan is Coma, which can't be countered. But I will say this card, if you're not playing Immersion Ultimatum, but you're playing these colors, this is a card you could play as a big threat that wins grindy games because that deck can grind that you can tap out for and then just untap your lands and have all your counter magic up. That's where that's where I like it. So I think it's good in the uh, from other decks against the ramp decks. I could definitely see it. Um, I'm uh, this is uh, it's a card that this is on my like I might be underrating this list because I just haven't seen a lot of it and I have basically seen no hype from anyone else about it and to like which is a little weird to me because I, I that ability does sort of jump off the page but i get that it costs seven mana um so i'm while i didn't put it on my list this is another interesting one that like the, 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 this is a this is a high risk play from tannin you know if he hits on this he looks like a genius but he, it could also look bad which is not a like I, I like that play for your seventh on your the seventh spot on your list right you know you take the, take those shots with the the low picks uh, so a cheeky play from Tandon on this one. So if I had a cheeky play at seven, I'm assuming yours is not as cheeky. So what is your seventh? Um, so it does mirror yours in some degree. My okay. seventh is another Elder Dragon, another Ooh, member of the cycle. I have Galazeth Prismari. Which is, is that the, the red blue? It, yes, is it okay. one? Okay, I'm, I'm um, scrolling to it so I have it in front of me. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I like I said, I've been impressed with the, just making a bunch of treasures with Magma Opus, and Prismari is part of it. Because what Prismari allows you to do is amass treasures. When you just have Goldspan Dragon, you're, you're there are one-shot effects. You get the extra mana, but you have to sacrifice them. With Prismari, you can set up battlefields where like you have a treasure in play. On turn four, you play Galazeth Prismari. You make a second treasure. You interact with some sort of two-mana spell. Stomp, Petty, Theft, Negate, you know, Jawari Disruption, what, you know, anything. Scorching you're just dragon the red-blue deck that was popular at the very beginning of the format when it was yes. had, uh, the dragon. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, you know, all the treasures that you make from then on, you usually get to keep around a little bit, and then you have them for your big play. You have them to cast your Magma Opus. You have them to sink into a Shatter Skull Smashing and kill two big creatures from your opponent's battlefield. That's been the impressive part for me. Um, and the other thing is, I... I didn't realize this until recently, 
But it doesn't say tap a treasure to make a mana only for instance of sorceries. It says tap an artifact. Which to me gives it some potential in uh, like Pioneer and Historic where you have some artifacts that can enable an Urza style deck but you don't have the Urza. And this is an Urza. You know, it makes an artifact tap mana. It's not as good as the construct that Urza makes and you don't have the card advantage engine but the body's a little bit better and you get the mana. But in Standard... I, I recently saw a list just, you know, scrolling online. Actually, it might have been one that was submitted for Versus. Um, and it was a Jeskai deck with Glass Casket as one of its base removal spells, which could also tap with Prismari. So now you can, like, Casket on two, you know, interact on three in some other way, then play Prismari, get a treasure, and have your two-mana interaction up into Goldspan Dragon, attack, and, like, they're dead. Um, so, like, these kind of kinds of curves have been really impressive to me. You know, they, they end up, like, normally you think of the Goldspan Dragon as just, like, attacking and playing a two-mana spell. When you combine it with all these other effects, I've been seeing Goldspan Dragon cast a four, five, or six-mana spell. And that just ends the game. Especially if that six-mana spell is a foretold Allruns Epiphany. The game is immediately over, Tannen. There's yeah. no hope. No, absolutely. And I gotta say, you know, this card is the one that, like, it kind of interests me, too. It was definitely a, a maybe on my list because it's the most aggressively costed one as well. You know, it's yeah. the one that's going to get into play the quickest just, and easiest. Just by itself, it feels like a three-mana, three-four flyer that, you know, can enable some synergies and do some other stuff. That That's not bad, and the, the upside has been really high. I've been impressed with it on Versus. Um, so I, I I think those is it decks that were a flash in the pan this past season are going to, they're going to become more tap-out. You know, they're not going to play Behold the Multiverse. They're going to play some counter spells. They're going to play Didn't Say Please probably in some numbers, maybe not four, but more two-mana counters. Um and, you know, just enough and two-mana interaction, but they're also going to play, like, Allruns Epiphany, I think, and just start, like, slamming Haymakers. Yeah. You know, they're going to be, they're not going to be the hold back, hold back, try to awkwardly find a spot where I can land my Goldspan Dragon. They're going to be, you know, interact, interact, start slamming dragons, and you're not going to be able to keep up because I've generated so much extra mana over all these early exchanges that created treasures. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, my number six was Magum Opus, so we've already spoken on that one, so let's go ahead and go with your number six. You had Opus even higher on your list. Interesting. Uh, my number six is Sedgemore Witch. This is the 3-2 the three, for three with Magecraft that makes a pest token, also has Ward, Patri Life, and Menace. Um, this week, I played two different uh, Sam Black brews on Versus, both built around Magecraft, and they were two of the most impressive decks I've played through uh, previous season on Versus. Are you surprised that Sam Black made good decks to start season? <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised, but I, I like you know these were you know to me the the two decks that I now you know I'm I know over the last couple shows I've been really poo pooing this set, and I do think overall it's underpowered. But over the last couple weeks, I've seen some things that I think are going to make waves in standard. One of them is these you know base is it. Now I'm thinking maybe Jeskai, sort of Dragon, make a bunch of treasure decks. And Black-based, Magecraft, Sacrifice, make a bunch of token kind of decks. These things have both seemed powerful to me. There are things that I think can compete. Uh, and Sedgemore Witch is a big part of the latter. You know, this card plays incredibly well with Village Rights, just like Young Pyromancer that we've seen in Historic and, and Pioneer. So I don't think Sedgemore Witch really fits into those formats because being a mana more than Pyromancer is a huge deal. And it's also a three drop that just like dies to all the one mana removal. Yeah, literally everything. Yeah, yeah. so you, you trade down. The three life is, is kind of nice. But in standard, that three life is is even more relevant. The menace body lets you attack with it a little bit more. You know, it's, it's kind of, I think it compares pretty favorably to Woe Strider. 
Yeah. Uh, and it, the fact that it plays so well with village rights, it plays really well with a card we're going to see later on my list. Um, Ooh. And I've just generally been very impressed by it. And I think it's a key element of these decks that I think are very good. Uh, I got to agree with you. I think this card is really, really, really good. I have it higher on my list. So we'll talk about, you know, we'll mention where it is on the list when it comes up. Um, I think this card is, um, I, I don't want to say absurd, but I do think it's very good. And it does, it is one of the cards in the set that screams like play me, play around me. Everything, you know, reads well off the box. Um, the tokens are more important than people realize. Like they're more impactful than people realize. You know, the drain ability is super relevant. Like, you know, I've played a couple of limited games in this format. And I was like very surprised at how important the one ones are because it puts you in weird spots. And like, like you said, the three, two body being menace might actually get to attack. If Ward ever triggers, they take three, and then makes the tokens even more impactful at this point. Because if you've taken six from this card, if you're even as low as, like, say, like, you know, 10 after all that, like, attacking with these 1-1s, like, you're probably not going to be able to block very profitably in that spot. And it's going to be hard for you to win these games because they're going to find a way to kill you, or you're going to find a way to sacrifice the tokens for some kind of value. And that's where I'm going to go on a slight rant on the side and just say that I called the shit out of Village Right saying that card was going to be good. And I in my wildest dreams did not even realize how good this card was going to be. Yeah. I mean, they printed a lot of cards that go really well with it. Right. And that yeah. always helps. Yeah, um, of course. But yeah, you're right. Village rights is, has, you know, been very good. We've generally seen, you know, if you can cast a one mana draw two, even if you have to work for it a little bit, like you're looking really good. It, it, it goes all the way back to thought cast in affinity, right? Yeah. You know, normally you wouldn't think of playing that card in yeah. your aggro deck, but one mana draw two is just so efficient. And that's what Village Rights has become. It's become the thought cast for sacrifice decks. That's a you know, very this, good. Way this to is put where it I had. I think I had of one mind as like an underrated card. Yeah. Whenever that was printed, we haven't really seen it uh, break out. That one's just been harder to mm-hmm. enable because you just you need multiple creatures in play, and that's been the problem. Um, at, whereas it works, it works you know, Village well Rights, with this card. Yeah, Village no, it, Rights. It, you, you, it builds yeah, its, its own. It's a human. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but is is of one mind still in standard? Yes. Ooh. We might be getting we might be getting a, a Demir Sedgemore witch deck. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. how it'll work, but yeah. I'll figure it out. Um, yeah. So the the card it's is, so is high, but yeah, good. Yeah, I could you know who who knows exactly how, how it's going to work, but that, that that that's a nice one. Um, the card is yeah, it's it's just been solid. We don't really yeah, need to say a ton more about it. I can just play. I can see. I see a turn where you have Sedgemore witch in play, and you're like you have one token. You're like okay. I'm going to, uh, of one mine for one blue mana, draw two cards, make some more tokens. Okay, now I'm going to village rights one of the tokens. You take one, I'll make another token. Now I'm going to, of one mine, draw two cards, make another token. They don't take one, you gain a life with the pest eyes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I th- I don't, I, I, for some reason, I thought yeah. it drained them. Or it, whatever, it's but yeah, it's yeah. still really relevant because all these decks that have been playing with Sedgemore Witch are like, they're like aristocrats from five years ago. They kind of limp over the finish line. They always deal their points like one by one, and they just kind of nickel and dime you through the entire game. And th- that makes it so hard to race because you're always afraid about the extra damage that they're going to deal you because you're th- is that going to put me into lethal range to, you know, sacrifice effects and, and stuff? Or, you know, that you're never sure exactly how much you can extend and that just gives them even more time if you t- slow play it too much. Uh, so that's what I've experienced playing with Sedgemore Witch. You know, I just, you know, my it's almost like every game my opponent starts at 15 and I start at 25. And it, it just yeah, makes exactly. it so much easier to race. Yep. All right. So that was your number six, correct? Yes, so we're on to number five for you, Tannen. Uh, for my number five, I have Clever Luminancer. And this is a card that I'm not so sure about standard. Um, these cards always kind of, like, m- maybe, right? Maybe. 
but I do think this card might show up in Modern and possibly Pioneer as well. I've seen some people trying to play it in the like blue in like the I'm sorry in the red white burn decks, and I think that's a better home than the people trying to play it in like the prowess decks. Like they're trying to stretch their mana base to fit this extra one drop into their deck, and that one hasn't seemed as good to me. But I could just be wrong. It could be you know the few small sample sizes that I've seen. But I remember you talking about this like where you were like, yeah, you have your eight one drops in the red white burn deck, and maybe you don't want twelve. Maybe you want ten. You know, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't play the deck a lot, but whenever I play against those decks, whenever they play a land and say go or play a land and lava spike me, those are the games that I win more often. The games are like on the play, they play a creature on one because that card's going to do more damage to me as the game goes along. I have to interact with that and it makes the cards in their hand better. So this is just another card that that makes all your other cards better. On turn five, when you're at three and your opponent's empty handed, you're always praying, draw a creature, draw a creature, yeah, draw a creature. Of course. Of course <laughs> so that's course. that's where the give and take comes. If you draw, you know, where is where is the balance? You want enough where you consistently have them on turn one, but you don't want to draw them on turn five. That's, you know, that's kind of why I have it at five. I'm not like super high on this card as much as other people. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends that are really into aggro, right? You know, my friends that are like always playing burn or always playing aggro decks, they're all over this card. They like it a lot. You know, it's their new shiny toy. And I do think it's good. Right, it's a human wizard, which is something that could come up in a set or two in the future. You know, if if creature types matter more, in um, I have a feeling that the D and D set might pull you into party a little bit. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, even though they've never really done this. I wouldn't be surprised if party came back in D and D, or they had some way to make it really relevant. And then, if you know, you have spells and stuff, this is something that you know could go down the line of being good. Right, you know, another good one drop in the party decks, which. It's going to be weird to make this, you know, Magecraft work along with, you know, creature types because you know, it just matters what kind of spells we get, etc. But I see upside on this card, and that's why it's at number five in my list. Yeah, uh, I actually have this one a little bit higher. Um, I agree with you. I think its potential is more in modern than it is in standard. But I, because I've been impressed with Magecraft cards this week, I pushed it up a little higher because it's I think maybe it has more of a, um, yeah, yeah, more of a home in standard. I definitely had it more in your range. You know, when I was first thinking about this top eight list, and it, it moved up a little bit for me. Yeah, awesome. All right, so so we're on your number five now. Yes, this is a card that has a little down arrow next to it. Ooh, this is Vanishing Verse. Okay, one of the hyped removal spells from the set. This is the one that exiles a monocolored permanent. This is not and, Fracture. And this is the last card that made it off of my list. So you know, oh, so you I didn't also even have it. it. Yeah, I also had this as a uh, as a card for a while, and then I was just like, the more and more I thought about it. Go ahead. It's just the more and more I've played with it, you just see the things that it misses. You know, it doesn't exile Yorians when your opponent, or Lurises, any companion when your opponent casts them. It doesn't hit Teferi in Pioneer, uh, which is one of the big Planeswalkers. When you think exile non-land permanent, you're like, yes, I can hit Planeswalkers. Yeah. Well, t- you know, Teferi of both stripes in Modern and Pioneer, uh, you know, the three mana one only in Modern, of course, but uh, those are really important Planeswalkers to hit. I still think, you know, hitting Nyssa, who shakes the world, hitting Azika's Chariot, hitting, you know, it, it, it hits enough that it's very good, but it's not something that, like, you can jam four of and feel confident. You've got oh, to 100%. understand where its holes are, just yeah. like with any removal spell. It has, it has a bigger hole than I thought. I do still think it's good. I think it's the best of the removal spells that was uh, that was printed in the set, and there are mm-hmm. a decent number of good ones. Um, but it is not a, I don't think it's a groundbreaking removal spell, and most two-mana removal spells aren't. But it's definitely a good one. I think it'll see play across multiple formats. Uh, but it's more restrictive than I initially thought. Obviously, being a multicolor card, um, 
but also you know j- just missing a, a good chunk of, of important things but still def still a you know an impressive card in in its range and the exile clause is always you know very valuable you know this is a card that can exile heliod importantly in in modern that's really nice right now you know yeah, heliod like- has been pretty untouchable and yeah, that that kind of to me, like you you said, the cards that it hits versus the cards it doesn't hit, and like it's real, like all the ones you hit, you're like, oh yeah, and all the ones it misses, you're like, oh that kind of sucks that I can't hit that right. <laughs> and the other big problem for me is the casting cost is a little prohibitive, but we'll have to see because I do think this is one of the ones that might show up in standard, and we keep thinking about all the problems that it has in other formats. You know, it's hey, it's not good enough for pioneer, probably it's not good enough for modern, in excessive amounts. Right, you know, I can see myself playing a copy or two of this, you know, depending, and so that's why it fell off the list for me. I kept having, oh, this is good if, oh, this is good maybe, you know, oh, I mean, it, you know, it has in, a problem here. In standard, it hits a lot. It hits a lot. That's where its holes are diminished, but it doesn't yeah. have an easy home to me. That's the thing I'm talking about. Is, is is the the casting cost is yeah. prohibitive? Like the fact yeah, that it's that, black so that that's a bigger issue in standard than it is yeah. in the other formats. Like I think it, yeah, I think the, the two they, major yeah. holes I see in standard are Tybalt mm-hmm. and uh, Faceless Haven. Exactly. Those those are yeah, very good points. And like another thing here is like, you know, this this might just fit in, you know, I can see, you know, like a Niv Mizzet decks, you know, playing this as like possibly a cyborg card in certain matchups or because like I can hit this off my Niv Mizzet now and it's a black white one, which they might you know, they play like I think one black white spell. They play Oath of Kaya usually, yes, I think. Yeah, something you know, maybe two. Maybe Kaya's Kyle and Modern. Yeah, I, mean, I assume same, that yeah. you know, different configurations. But yeah, yeah, they don't play a lot of wars off. They don't this play is, a lot. Yeah. I think this is an easy add to those decks, somewhere yeah. in the seventy five at least. So that's where it like kind of, you know, it, it's in the top 10-ish cards of the set, you know, where like it's going to get played, but this isn't something that you need to go rush out and get a four of. All right. So this was your number five, correct? Yes. So we're on to my number four. And this is a card that kind of has an up arrow next to it uh, as well, just from seeing it it played out. Again, uh, it falls in the same kind of problem in the card we were just talking about with the casting cost can be prohibitive, but I do see this card possibly being a big player at times, and that is Humiliate. I like this card a lot. This is a sorcery for black and white. It says target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. Put a plus and plus one counter on a creature you control. Yeah. The it, uh, the thing I like most about this card is that it doesn't target your creature. So your yeah. opponent can't respond by respond, killing the thing yeah. you're going to put a counter on. Yeah. And like even just, you know, think about like clever Luminancer into this card. I'm like pretty excited. You're attacking for three and taking a card from their hand on turn two. Like that is a fast start. Like a very fast start. You know, it, depending on, you know, uh, also, I think the floor of this card is Castigate, which was a very playable card in its day and standard, and like has seen play. You know, like cards like that. You know, have seen play. You know, two mana discard spells. You know, right? And this one is this one is uh you know it's Thoughtseize. It's it's you choose a non land card from their hand, right? You get whatever you want. You can't take their lands, but you can take anything else, right? It's not conditional. It's not duress. You sometimes know. you can take their lands now. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you can take their lands. You get what I'm saying. It's it's not it's not a conditional one, which I think is you know a big thing to do. And then it just has this upside of killing your opponent faster, which is like really good. So I can see decks without creatures to target very much. You know, what I mean, like a control deck. You know, in the mirror, they're like, oh, I want this card. You know, kind of thing. Which there's probably better forms of this card that you should be playing. You know, there's one that like exiles for two mana, but whatever. You know, if you can cast this, you know, whatever. But like. The upside of being able to grow a creature is unbelievably big. Plus, there's, like, all these counters matter cards in, in some format. So, can you imagine this in, like, Pioneer or some other deck, you know, some other f- formats where, if you know, counters matter on your creature for some reason? This just adds to that. This is now a disruptive element that still plays into the main theme of your deck. Uh, no, I, I like this card quite a bit. Uh, it is not on my list. 
but I'm not surprised to see it in there. That was definitely in the mix. Uh, you know, I think it's very easy to underrate the value of that extra plus and plus counter and how much pressure that's going to deal. I always think back to Vapor Snag. You know, Unsummon has been unplayable for years, and Vapor Snag was at the time one of the best removal spells in Standard. And a lot of it came down to that extra life. Obviously, Snapcaster Mage was a big part of it, um, as well as Geist of Saint Traft. So just moving the block right for a turn was important. Uh, so that there were some extenuating circumstances there, but that extra life was a big part of it. And so this is, you know, sometimes an extra three life. You know, if you go one drop in, into Humiliate, my my issue with the card is that it requires a pretty specific home. You know, it needs to go into an Orzov aggro deck. So the question for it is not really the, a question of Humiliate. This card is definitely good enough to see significant play in Standard. The question is whether or not the pieces around it are good enough that hu- it, the card finds a home. So I think there's going to be uh, a chance that we see a Orzov... Uh, aggro deck, sorry to cut you off. Orzov aggro deck, even like even like party wise, like the party one drop into the one that makes them discard cards into cards like humiliate and the PVDR card and stuff like that. Like just messing with your hand, attacking you. Like you can almost see humans happening in standard here with General Kudo. Ku, I'm sorry, Kudro and a bunch of other stuff. So like Corey, this is Corey a- played an Orzov humans deck yesterday on versus, and it was solid. I played just a straight up Orzov aggro deck last week that was like mono white, but cut the snow cards. Played a Black Splash, played Silver Quill Silencer, Silver Quill Command, Humiliates in the sideboard. Uh, Humiliate was great there, and, and uh, the black cards are pretty good. So I, I definitely think there's potential for that deck to be there, but cutting Faceless Haven and having worse mana is definitely a real cost. So that's what worried me enough to push it out of the list, uh, but would not surprise me if the Orzov deck ended up being good enough or ended up sort of replacing Mono White Aggro. Uh, that's definitely in the mix, and if it does, humiliate's going to be a big part of why. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, Donde estás el cuatro? What is your number four? <laughs> my number four is what my guess would be your favorite card in the set. Okay, it's my number four, which means okay. it's an is it card. Ooh, it's pretty cheap. It only okay. costs two mana. I know where this you're going with like, this. This is expressive iteration. Okay, this is the blue and red sorcery. You look at the top three cards of your library. You put one into your hand, you exile one of them, you put one on the bottom. Until end of turn, you can play the exiled card. Uh, and importantly, it says play. So you can put a land into exile. If, you've st- if you haven't made your land drop, play it for turn and effectively get two cards. So this is you know, a, a neat way for them to get this two-mana draw two that has some downsides. Sometimes it's a draw one. You know, We've seen sort of like chart a course, right? was a, a good card in standard with Arclight Phoenix and Drakes and stuff. You know, sometimes you drew, drew two with it, and that was great. Sometimes it was draw two, discard one, so draw one with a little upside. This would be, you know, at worst, an anticipate as a sorcery. That's not very good. Granted, we do have Magecraft, so you might be in the market for some cheap spells, but it is really not that hard for this card to be a draw two, because this is not a card you're going to cast on turn two. You're going to want to interact early. Sometimes you cast it on turn three to dig for that land drop, and it's great at doing that, because then you get to draw an extra card, you know, put a land onto the battlefield. Maybe you even put a fourth land into your hand, and that's great. You know, how many times do you anticipate looking for your third land, and you look at two lands, and you're like, God, can I keep both of them? Uh, this card lets you do that. And uh, the, you know, and when you draw it in the late game, this is draw two with upside. It's it's look at three, take two of them, which is incredible. And I've seen, I've heard good things about this. I know Aspiring Spike was playing it even in in modern, in like is it prowess or in maybe it was I don't know. He's playing older formats, and uh, you know yeah it was it wasn't maybe it was maybe he was playing a Jeskai prowess deck with Lumamancer and it. Yeah, he was trying out all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was trying them all out. He ended up coming away like medium on Lumamancer and high on iteration, 
right? Uh, which is impressive to me because, you know, you have access to, like, Night's Whisper, a clean two-mana draw two that has seen a little play recently because of Scourge of the Skyclaves. Um, but this one is draw two, you know, with upside. Uh, looks to be quite good. I think it'll be a big part of those, like, is it treasure decks that I've been talking about in Standard. And I also think it has the potential to be, you know, sneak into older formats. And so this was a ri- this was a late riser as well on my list. I think I initially had it, like, six or seven. I moved it up a couple spots. Uh, just a very good card selection spell. Since we're already talking about it, I don't want to like delay it and just repeat what you said. Do you want to know where I have this on my list? Because I do have it, it on my list. Is it number one? It is number one. Because I think this is going to be a four of in standard, and I think it's going to be a four of in modern. I think there's a very good chance this just becomes a four of in the red-blue prowess decks because of the flexibility. Yeah, it's not a card that you're going to generally cast on turn two ever, right? But they're usually not casting many spells on turn two that cost two mana anyway. You know, usually it might be if they have Manamorphose, they do that into some other stuff, right? Usually they're still developing their board or they're playing one of their free cards into something else. You know what I mean? Like they're still, they're like cantripping, doing whatever. This sets up unbelievably explosive turns. Um, finding the land, the third land, like can you imagine on turn three where you've, been, you've like played some creatures, done some stuff, and then you're like, all right, turn three, play explosive iteration when you only have like two lands, find your land, like exile a bolt, like bolt your thing and then play like a free spell because that's what you you know what I mean like just just whatever like how however you maneuver all this it doesn't matter where you put the cards you know what I mean where you put all the moving pieces maybe it's not a four of but I do think that this is a card that's going to be very very good in a lot of formats and I can even see this possibly making it into some eternal formats like modern and other stuff like that especially with a few cards that work well with being exiled I actually kind of like joked around with this with like food chain. You know, with cards like Mist Hollow Griffin, uh, Squee, uh, the, the newer Squee that could be cast from Exile in your graveyard. Just little stupid things like that, you know, like, because those decks always needed the filler to work really well. You know, like, when we when we broke that deck, you know, like, uh, you know, me and Jonathan Joe played it at some opens. He, like, top-aided with it, and I, like, top 16 with it or whatever. I say broke that deck because it wasn't broken, but you get what I'm saying. We found the card uh, Manipulate Fate. It's, like, this really random uncommon from a set that we had to, like order them because no one has the card but it lets you just exile like three cards from your deck for 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 two mana and draw a card and while that's way better than this this kind of is a card in that vein that it's just just better right in, in some spots it's not better doing the specific thing but it's just a better magic card now i'm not saying that this is all going to happen right but i 100 believe that there's going to be a competitive deck in standard at some point in time that has four of this card and this card is going to be very important into it because Starting on turn three, if your opponent casts this card, I will never be happy about seeing that on the other side of the board, right? You'll never be happy when your opponent casts this because they're getting a two for one at like, they're always getting a two for one off this at that point, pretty much, right? If they have their deck built the same way. And then this is one hell of a top deck as the game goes on. So when you're looking at the floor of this card, yeah, it can be kind of low in the fact that you can't really cast this two drop on turn two, but we've seen cards like that in the past that are fine. But when I look at the ceiling of this card, it is astronomically high when I think about it. And if decks, if there is a good deck in standard that wants this kind of effect, this is a slam dunk four of and very impactful and will be one of the unsung heroes of the deck. Just because you won't realize how good it is unless you're really paying attention because you'll see the cards that it gets and those cards win the game for you. And you're like, yeah, that card's good. But you're like, I would never have been in these situations if it wasn't for expressive iteration. Yeah. 
and just you it's very easy to underestimate the value of a card that is generating you card advantage while also helping you hit your land drops so that you don't fall behind on the battlefield yeah and like you know when you say when you say that like when i when i look at cards like magma opus and decks that i'm going to be doing that you know when i look at decks like magma opus decks that play cards like magma opus and standard right there's always some way to cheese it right or maybe you're playing it just fair but you're trying to get a bunch of mana into play right the games that you lose with those decks are the games where you have to play like fair or the games get kind of drawn out and you don't draw you know you don't draw the in between you draw like too much land or not enough land like you know it, the, the draw is not smooth enough and expressive iteration is going to take those draws and make them like 10 to 15 percent better every time maybe even a higher it's, it's literally just a number up top of my head but it's going to make them some tangible amount better every single time and I cannot stress enough how much I think this card is great and that we're only scratching the surface of how good it is. The first time I read it, I was like, oh, that card's cool. It looks good. And then I reread it and reread it and reread it. And every time it kept jumping off the page. I know I use that phrase a lot. But I think this card is very good. And I think this is one of the best iterations of a card that we've seen like this, if not the best form of it that we've seen in the history of Magic, where it's like, you know, the two mana, the two mana, I'm using quotations here, divination, you know, like, you know, like anticipate type thing, you know? Because like comparing this to Anticipate is a disservice to Anticipate and very unfair to that card. Anticipate's an instant. This is a sorcery. That's literally the only thing it has better on it. And the fact that it costs one blue mana. And I, I think that, that there's a dichotomy in spells decks that a lot of newer players don't understand in that your spells decks can be proactive or they can be reactive. This is a card that really only fits into the proactive style. I think this could be both, honestly. I really it, do. In, in standard, it's cheap enough that I think you, you can play in a deck with a bunch in of counter modern, spells. In modern, yeah, probably not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sir, but not not modern, not not older formats. You know, the, yeah, efficiency can override these these kinds of fit issues uh, to a certain extent, and, and obviously the efficiency bar is lowest in standard. Um, this is a card that wants to be played in a more proactive deck being a sorcery. Anticipate is a much more of a reactive card where you're holding it up and you're casting it when your opponent doesn't make you interact and you're just fixing your draws a little bit. Um, so d yeah, they're, they're definitely functionally quite different just as because one is a sorcery. Uh, but th those proactive decks are also ones that tend to want more of this marginal card advantage because you're usually prowessing or getting some mage crafting, anything like that. Uh, getting some value out of casting these spells so you want to keep the gas flowing so that you can keep getting more and more value from your payoff cards and yeah iteration is a it's a nice one and yeah like i mean you kind of you, you touched on it there and i was going to eventually get to it i kind of forgot about it during my long uh soliloquy diatribe you know thing or whatever it's just like yeah if you get any value from Ode. casting yeah there we go get the thesaurus out uh if, if you get any value from casting the card like any mage craft any prowess triggers etc 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 like the card's already good enough on its own. Like, now you're making it even better. I, I think this card has one of the highest ceilings, if not the highest ceiling in the entire set. Obviously why it's my number one. So, and so that was your number four? That was my four, so on to okay. three. So, so, so it'd be my number three, but we're actually going to go to you because my number three is Sedgemore Witch, which, which we've talked about. Well, my number three is Clever Lumamancer, which we've also talked about. So, yeah, I mean, like, I do think these cards are good. These are creatures that are good in these sets. So, you know, playing to the board, et cetera, et cetera. And they're, they're good. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're good, like, outlets for what you're trying to do in the set. And so hopefully these do have a spot to kind of shine and play or whatever in the set. So um, my number two is technically, I'm guessing, your number one. So uh, I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want to do our overrated, underrated now? Since we're kind of like uh, our, our our list got kind of yeah, let's do those now then. 
Okay. We'll break from we'll break um, from this, the norm. What is your underrated? My underrated is charge through. Okay, is that the green uh card? Yeah, red. target creature you control yeah. against trample until end of turn draw a card. It might be target it's, creature. It's the green crash through. Like kind yes. of yeah, yeah. Yeah. And these cards always get overlooked. It's a one mana cantrip. Like heroic decks and prowess decks are always looking for ways to get their creatures through blockers. This one does it. Yeah. Uh you know, and I also I sort of compare it to like Team or Battle Rage. It's okay. not as it's not as aggr- as obviously like as aggressive. It's not going to win as many games outright because it doesn't have doesn't without the double strike. But it's a it's a, it has a much higher floor because it's one mana and it's a cantrip. So it's a card that you don't mind like casting early and just getting your damage through because you're not going to end with nothing afterwards. So I'm actually kind of interested in exploring a for a a Sultai Shadow List now in modern. Because if you look at four-color shadow lists, they basically play red only for Team or Battle Rage. And I think you could just get away with having a way better mana base and playing some charge-throughs in your deck. Uh, especially with how big uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves can get. Sometimes you, you definitely don't need the double strike. You really just need the trample. And having a card that you can just play early that isn't going to sit dead in your hand, that can cycle you to get another threat, to get another discard spell, to get that stubborn denial that you need to lock the game up is exciting. You know, so I think it has some potential there, and then I think it'll it'll see play at some point in decks with big creatures that want to get them through blockers, whether it's Selesnya Aura's deck somewhere, some sort of heroic deck. Like, this card will find a home somewhere, and it literally is a card that you scroll past on the, on the you know, spoiler list every time. So definitely uh, key material for underrated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. This, this is a card that you do look over. Um they generally show up a decent bit in Limited. You know, there's another one in the set that's very similar. I think these cards are very good. Oh, especially with Magecraft and Limited. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's going to be an unsung common, for sure. You're going to realize, like, how good yeah. it is and how, how much higher you should take. But it's it's going to be the card that you love to wheel. Like, you know, God, 10th pick, yes, I got the charge through. I like these cards because when they're good, they're the cards that they look like Draft Chafe. They're, they're really bad, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, when you're playing them in Constructed and when you draw them, like, you feel, A, so smart. And B, like, it's like one of those cards when you see it in your hand, it sticks out. Because, like, it's just so different, and, like, you're the person doing it, and, like, it's always so impactful. I don't know. It's just one of those cards that's, like, it really sticks out every time I cast it or draw it in game. So I can definitely see that quite a bit. Um, My underrated card, I'm going to need a tiny bit of help here because I literally just blanked. There was a card that used to get played in, like, uh, a black-green deck in Standard. I wanted to call it Sins of the Past. That's not it. But it was like a card that you could return a card from your graveyard for every converted mana cost, but they all had to be different. So you could do like, you know, Seasons zero Past. To... Seasons Past, that's it. So Sins of the called... Past was like the six mana Yogmas Will kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's Seasons Past. And do you remember like the Rock decks for a little while that had Seasons Past and they were like a cool, it yeah, was like a good Finkel deck. made top eight of the Pro Tour in Barcelona with it. Yeah, that whole I... team played them. Yeah, it was like the whole team played it. I remember uh, Huey playing it. And like, it was just a really cool deck. A lot of grinders really liked it because it was like, it was, it was the Jund of the format, yeah. you know, just a bunch of good cards. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is my underrated card is Harness Infinity. You know, it's one black, 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 green, green, green. green it says green. exchange your hand in your graveyard, exile Harness Infinity. I think this card has a chance that if there is a deck like that, if there's a good, like, mid-range deck that's, like, black, green, at some point in time, doesn't have to be now, or whatever, that this could be, like, your copy of that card. That late in the game, you know, you cast this on, like, turn seven or eight or whatever, and the game just practically ends because you're about to seven for one your opponent. Because... It's very good in a deck where you're just like one for one, one for one, you know, like kill your thing, kill your thing, accrue some value here, get a Planeswalker. Like, let's say we get a good green-black Planeswalker in one of the next sets, you know, there's a new Varaska or something that does like, 
you know, like when I look at this card, I think of Maybe like a the Professor f- Onyx that like yeah. you know fills your graveyard because <laughs> exactly. you're plus oneing it. And, and like people look at Harness Infinity and like yeah, there's obviously some like busted things you do where you're going to draw twenty cards and try to kill your opponent or whatever, like some commander stuff or whatever, right? But I look at this card, I'm like, this can be a fair card. Not to mention that when you look at this card, I was surprised that it's an instant and not a sorcery. So you can just like end of turn this. You know, they can be like, oh, do us a card's an instant. Yeah, it, it it baffled my mind that instant. So at the end of their turn, you can be like, I'm going to draw seven cards here for, for for seven that, mana. That. That makes the card a lot better. Yes. Yeah, that makes it extremely playable. Like, okay. I was I was skeptical of this pick, but when you tell me it's an instant, which I had no idea because these yeah. kinds of effects are just always sorceries. They're always sorceries. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, like, when you've been playing Magic for long enough, like you become you start to anticipate how cards are designed because you've just seen that kind of you know uh, template before, and you're like, yeah, every card like this is worded this way, does it like this kind of thing, and every time they deviate from it, you always get caught by surprise because you're like, just so for- locked in. Yeah, it's why I like Express Iteration so much. I'm like, it's it's the same. It breaks the mold of that kind of card. And this one does it at a fundamental level where instant is so much better than sorcery. I can see a deck where you play like one or two of these and your deck is just like stuff. You know, like I'm just going to survive, you know, accrue my value here. There. Like Brennan Candio, I'm surprised he hasn't sent us like 15 messages on this card. <laughs> you know, just building decks around. Like I can see like a, a Sylvan Ranger, like the four mana Varaska deck, you know, where you're just like trade, 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 trade. You know, like remember the Explore deck in Standard? Like I can see a yeah. deck like that. You know, the one that's just like, oh yeah, it's just solid. You know, I mean, like, it's just going to be 50-50. Like, you're going to have some hand disruption. You're going to have some removal. Your removal spells are going to hit everything. Your creatures are going to be, you know, they're going to get you value in some way, shape, or form. And, like, this deck just beats up on the aggro decks. And then in the control matchups on, like, turn 7 or 8 or whatever, you're going to, like, hold your duress. You're going to duress them. You're going to see that they don't have a counter spell. You're going to take their counter spell. You're going to be like, all right, I'm going to exchange my hand with my graveyard. Good luck. <laughs> like, and the next turn, I'm going to dress you again yeah, and play all, gonna, good, good yeah, play all my good stuff. Yeah, I'm going to play all my good stuff. Like, you're just fucking dead. Yeah. I so I I don't think there's room for this card right now in standard with the ultimatums because the exactly. end games for decks are too strong. So this is a long game play for you, but I think after rotation, if there's a deck like this, and those decks tend to be around more in the fall when the format is is uh not as robust, it's smaller. Yeah. Uh there's fewer sets. So I think next fall is gonna be your prime time to see if this card can uh cut the mustard. Like, you know, the, the Sultai decks that are getting popular now that don't actually have the ultimatum, you know, it's just, it's just the control version of the deck or whatever. Like, I can see a deck like that with this card. And I, it kind of excites me. And seeing it as instant, like I said, just makes it jump off the page for me. All right. So those were our underrated. What was your overrated? I'm, make, I'm making you go first because you're going to hate me for my answer. Okay. My overrated is Rip Apart. This is okay, the Boros... I- this was my other overrated. This is the one that I, I switched from because yeah. I'm doing the... Th- uh, go ahead, sorry. So my, my thing with this card is obviously like it reads a lot like a braid, mm-hmm. but it reads like an braid that can also hit enchantments. You're like, oh, even better than a braid. But we're, gonna, right? we're running into the same problem that we just ran into, right? You're like, oh, this is an instant, right? Yeah, but no, it's a sorcery. Yeah. And that makes such a big difference when it comes to removal spells. Like, you just, it's hard, I'm not even sure exactly how to state it theoretically, I have yet to come up with a good way, but it's about mana efficiency, like, you can never, you know, pass with your two mana up and end step kill their three drop, so you never get that tempo. Yeah, it's like if you're ever on the draw, I mean, on the play with this card, it becomes infinitely worse, which is weird, because it's sorcery, but you can't, like, it, it, like, I guess you could kill their one drop, but, like, you can't kill their two drop now without using your turn three. Like, your, your stock mana theory, like, hurts this card a lot. You just have so many fewer options with it. 
I think the the especially with Embercleave is one of the main targets for disenchant effects. It, you know, sorcery speed is going to hurt on there. You know, obviously being Boros is restrictive in, in the homes that it can find, and then you know, just dealing like three damage to a creature is is not great. You want this to be, I don't know, this card just it's. It's going to be an okay removal spell. I think it's going to see some play, but it's not going to fundamentally reshape anything. Uh, and you know, among the removal spells like Vanishing Verse, Fracture, Rip Apart that we've seen in the set, Rip Apart I think is easily the worst one. It's a sorcery. It's just not. It's 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 worse than a braid. Like just straight up worse than a braid. Harder to cast. Sorcery speed. Being able to hit enchantments is not worth it. I think, you know, maybe you'll see it as a, like a one of a new Mizzadex because that's, a, you know, it's a disenchant that they can, you know, hit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, I can see that, yeah. But it, it's not versatile enough to for me to play it as a sorcery speed removal spell. Alright. My overrated, you're going to hate me. And not just because of what the card it is, but what I'm naming and what I'm doing with this because I'm I'm doing the thing you hate where I always cheat in some way or circumvent the rules. Yeah. On this, so Classic my tandem. my most overrated card coming out of the set is Arclight Phoenix. <laughs> you piece of shit! I do. I hate you so much, like a lot. It's not even a card in the set, Tannen. It it's not. It's and just an excuse to take a cheap shot at me. It's it's not taking a cheap shot at you. It's it's what I thought was going to happen. So with brainstorm and faith is loading becoming legal and historic because of the set. Everyone was like all over the Arclight Phoenix deck, and I hate to cross your dreams, but the way they're being built and the games that I'm watching, like they just don't beat anything. And the okay, format so, is so hostile to that deck right now. Well, that's that's a big thing, but people are also building their Phoenix decks really badly. And until they build them right, I think they're going to be bad. You're putting too many two mana spells in your Arclight Phoenix decks, everyone. I promise you that I guarantee you, you do not want any two-mana spells that are not either named Strategic Planning or Expressive Iteration, and you definitely don't want both, and you probably don't want more than, like, two. I had, this was before Iteration, I think it was previewed, we were playing uh, some Historic with just Mystical Archive cards, and I built a Phoenix deck, of course. It had one Strategic Planning in it, and every other spell in the deck costs one, except for, um, there's one Abrade in the main as a versatile removal spell, and then there was one, uh, there was Finale Promise, right? Uh, and honestly, Expressive Iteration might be better than Finale Promise. Because, like, it does kind of the same thing when you draw it late. Like, you can Iteration with two mana floating that you would have paid for the Finale and hit two one mana spells and cast them and return your Phoenixes. You know, there's a little variance there, but it's not going to be a dead card against Graveyard Hate, and it's going to be castable earlier. Ooh, that's so, a good point. Yeah. like, yeah, I, like I think it might be at this point. Like, I'm gonna not, I'm, I'm gonna go down to one valley, maybe zero, and try expressive iteration. But I, I promise you, everyone, just play as many one mana spells as you can get. Put charge through in your deck. Don't put, you know, charter course in your deck. Charge through is better. It only costs one. <laughs> you know, that's it's such a huge difference. I agree that they were always going to be overrated, the Phoenix decks, because everyone underrated how important Manamorphose was to the modern version. Like being it, Not just being able to turn three transform thing in the ice, being able to turn two your Phoenixes. Just Manamorphose can't triple Faithless Looting was such a, a, an important line, especially in any racing matchup. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm one of the reasons I'm mad at you, Tannen, is because I know you're right. And, but you're, you're, but it's, you're, you're right the, for all the, the wrong is, reasons. 
yeah, this is not the right time to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's funny because I knew that our overrated card would be the same. Like, I knew you would have picked this. You know, I was going to pick the same card as you. I just knew it. And then thinking about it, and, like, I was in um, a call with a bunch of Magic players last night, and Tark Patel was in the call, and he was just playing Phoenix decks. And I was just, like, watching him play, and he would, like, do all this stuff and do all these broken turns. I'm like, man, this deck just sucks. <laughs> like, it's, like, like, his opponent would, like, cast a Narset, and his deck just sucks. You know what I mean? He's like, well, shit. Because, like, you don't have a lot of efficient ways to, like, kill a five toughness Narset. And, like, you know what I mean? Or, like, the opponent would play, like, a Graveyard Hate card. Or they would, like, exile their Phoenixes. Or they would just, like, have an aggressive draw. And you're, like, cantripping a bunch trying to find a Phoenix. And you get a Phoenix into play and, like, they'd kill it. And, like, it doesn't matter. You know, you did all this. Wheel, you know what I mean? If the format feels really hostile, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not trying to dissuade you from having fun. I don't mean you. This is the royal you. Everybody at home. I'm not trying to dissuade you from having fun. If you want to do Arcly Phoenix, do it. I'm just saying, if you only have a few wild cards left, you might want to hold off on crafting brainstorms and faithless lootings and stuff like that. Also, real quick, we've we talked about this before we get into the number my number two and your number one because they're the same um, through process of elimination. Uh, we've talked about how predatory the system on Arena is. I want you to know this on Arena for <clears throat> the show. Uh, what are they called? The the the, the cards. The Faithless Looting cards, they're Mystical, mystical archive. archive. The Mystical Archive cards. You get them pretty easily. Honestly, they come in packs or whatever, blah, 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 which is really cool. But you can buy the Japanese art as a style, right? Which is really cool, right? You have the access to get these, these cards. There's two points about this I want you to know. They come in bundles, right? So you just get a bundle of like all these Japanese card, art cards. They don't give you the card, Ross. So if you buy the bundle for the art, you still have to make the card if you don't own it. Which is, I mean, like I get it, but it's predatory. The fact that you're paying twice now for this card. Are are they commons? No. The mystical archive cards? No. They all have rarities, and they're like rares. Like the good ones are like rares and stuff. And then here's the other thing. Fucking a. Here's the other thing. The bundles are all missing a card of like one color. Can you guess which cards they're missing? Uh, brainstorm. You know, Faithless, oh, is it Faithless Looting? They're missing, like, Faithless Looting. I think Lightning Bolt. I'm not sure. Like, Brainstorm, Cultivate. The ones that are, like, for sure going to be played in a lot of things. And I'm the assuming, ones everyone wants. And I'm assuming they're going to be in some thing that you have to pay to play in later to get. You know, like, one of those, like, you yeah. know, weekly things they do. I'm just like... Or they're going to be sold individually. This is so predatory. Just as much as the bundle is. Yeah, this is so predatory. Hard. Like, it's unreal. All right. Uh, my number two... Hey, what, what, hold on. If you, if you think your two is my one, let's start with my two. Oh, did we not do your number two? I'm sorry. No, because we've been doing. You've been doing. You've been going first. Oh, each. I apologize. I thought we were going to number one. No. Okay. My number two, which is probably not on your list, then is Elite Spellbinder. Paolo's. Oh, that is card. that is that is my number two. Hmm. Oh, you thought that was my number one? Yeah. Interesting. So we both had it number two. Mm-hmm. Um. So I am actually I'm a little bit lower on this card in older formats. Um. Just because it's it's you know the the efficiency barrier is higher there. But every time I have cast this card in standard, over in verses, it has been awesome, mm-hmm. like game winning awesome. And that right there is, is is enough to make it number two or number one, right? Like the fact that it's going to be that good and that prevalent in standard, and then it has the chance to be played in older formats as well. Like that's just enough for me. Yeah, uh, I I've just been so impressed with it in standard. I know like white three drops are pretty glutted. You've got Skyclave Apparition, you've got Raidan, you've got Archon of Emeria. Uh, but Elite Spellbinder has just been so impactful. The fact that they can't just, you know, they can't just Heartless Act it and 
that's the end, that's the end. You lose everything is so good. Uh, that's what's been really impressive. I could, I've just been constantly taking like the extinction event, the doom foretold, the key four mana play from my opponents. I just take out of their hand every time, mm-hmm. and it gives you plenty of time to kill them. It uh, just, you it's, can take extinction event. You know, you can yeah, take the ultimatum. Like, yeah, later in the game you take the ultimatum, but it's almost always like, what is your what is your next play that helps you catch up after I play the spellbinder? Your three drop, like take that love struck beast that you you know haven't hearts desired yet. Take you know sometimes you take the removal spell. Like, you do have options, but just taking that four mana card has been so good. Yeah, I I I, I like this card a lot, right? And for all the reasons you said, it passes the eye test of being like a good relevant body. It does every removal spell, but like whatever, most of the cards in those decks do. Yeah. Oh and yeah, gonna... all the three drops die to every removal spell. Like they all die yeah. to heartless act and eliminate and yeah. and. Uh, Scorching Dragonfire, like, if people start playing Spikefield Hazards in their deck because everybody's playing Spellbinders, like, that's a sign that Spellbinder is just that good. Yeah. Right? And you're looking at, you know, decks that are going to have cards like Humiliate in them and more of these, you know, the 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 black-white creatures. Like, I'm thinking of the, you know, the 3-2 two for 2 where you name a card. Silver Cool uh, Silver Silver Silencer. Silencer, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Corey's been doing, did some good things, like, looking at my hand and then Silver Cool Silencing a key thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just stuff like that. Like, you know, all these cards work really well together. It matters if they're going to curve hard enough and, and win or whatever. But the thing is, is like, you know, you keep saying, oh, like, yeah, this card just dies on the rules. But like, if your deck is just a bunch of creatures at all, it doesn't matter at that point because, like, they're going to have to kill something and they're going to kill something. So, like, and you do still get value. Like, you don't get a card out of it when it dies, but you get two mana out of it. So, you're, it's a one for one exchange where you get two mana as your aggro deck. And that's the worst case scenario. So, that means even, even if they Heartless Act it, you're up a mana. Right, they're up one mana on that exchange, but you get two mana for the other spell. Sometimes that two mana actually turns into a card because your opponent just never has a window to relevantly cast the spell that you took with it. Mm-hmm. Right? You yeah. Know, sometimes no, tempo turns into card advantage that way. I've definitely had that happen. So yeah, been very impressed. More impressed with this card in standard than I thought I would be. Less impressed with it in the older formats, but still, I, I still think it'll see play. In them. It's just a good card. All right, so drum roll. What is your number one? It's either a card that I completely forgot about while doing this quickly, or I think you're just probably just going to be really wrong on. So we'll see which one. Well, so I when I I mentioned when I talked about Sedgemore Witch about those those Magecraft decks, right? Mm-hmm. And the key card that I've been really impressed with that has turned those Magecraft decks on and made them really broken is Plum the Forbidden. Do you know what this card does? Is this the but, black card? Yeah, I had completely overlooked it, and in fact misread it. So okay, it's a one on. and a black instant. Oh, is this is the same draw... black card. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's ahead, a one ahead, and sorry. a black instant that says draw a card and lose a life. But as an additional cost, you can sacrifice any number of creatures, and for each creature sacrificed this way, you copy it. Mm. Right? Yeah, I saw this where you did it for like five against Corey. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Magecraft triggers off of all of the copies that you make. So if you've made two tokens with your Sedgemore Witch, right? And you and then you plumb the forbidden sacrificing those two tokens. You draw three cards, lose three life, gain two life off the pass, so you only lose one, and you create three more tokens. Mm-hmm. So this is a card that is going to be super powerful and super good if these decks are good. Like this is going to be the card that makes this stuff work. Yeah, okay, I can see it. Yeah, this is the this is the card that lets you start doing broken things because you start just getting four triggers on on one turn, seven triggers on a turn on all of your Magecraft abilities. So wither, like I was playing Sam's Golgarius with Wither Bloom Apprentice, so you trigger all of those each time. You trigger. You know, the, the Sedgemore Witches. In the whitelist, they had the two-drop that pumps your team. You trigger that a million times. Like, it. Ju- this was the card that I just, every time I was playing those decks, I was like, oh, uh, if I draw Plum the Forbidden, the game is over immediately. Every time. Okay. 
it, 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 this is the card that made me feel like I was playing a like pioneer or a modern deck in standard. And yeah, I, you know, looking at this card, this is one of the ones that definitely intrigued me. And you know, I haven't played with it, but I remember watching you guys play with it and like seeing that it was very, very good and hearing that it's you're that high on it. Yeah, maybe I did miss this card because like it did look powerful when I was reading it. So but I I misread it and didn't realize that you could sacrifice any number of creatures. So that it was like, like was one. Yeah, I thought it effectively had kicker instead of multi kicker, right? Uh, and that that makes such a huge difference, you know, giving you that flexibility. The other thing I like about it is, unlike other Alters Reap or, or Village Rites variants, when you top deck this empty-handed, you just still get to cycle it. So it, it doesn't have as low a floor, and it has the super high ceiling. Um, I it's it just was I mean, it obviously needs to be in very specific decks. I think you could play it in other kinds of other kinds of decks. You know, you know, in Young Pyromancer decks in older formats. I might be overrating it because I've just been so high on playing those decks this week. Uh, but I'm taking the stab. I'm putting it at number one. I do think these decks are just going to be very good in standard at the very least. And I've been so impressed by them that I'm starting to think about what this card can do in older formats. I haven't, you know, fully churned the wheels on that one. Uh, but I've just been incredibly high on it. It, it, it's, it does broken things. Yeah, I, I can 100% see it. And, like, us talking about this set, I'm getting a little bit higher on it every time I talk about the set and talk about the cards. And maybe that's just hope. You know, like, oh, what's this, you know, the, the Hawkeye meme? Like, don't do that. Don't don't give me hope or whatever. <laughs> hope. Yeah, and stuff. It's like, and I, I do think the set is, like you said, a little bit better than people think it is because, A, the synergy that, you know, a lot of these cards work out. And, B, like, some of the ways they interact with some older stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I really want them to just get rid of Throne of Eldraine. Like, really, really bad and stuff. I mean, but, I, I wrote my article this week yep. as a, you know, the reasons to ban Edgeball Innkeeper and Bone Crusher Giant. Those are the two I think you would need to and get rid of. Why stop there? Why stop there? Let's just get, let's get rid of the whole set. <laughs> I, I did mention the possibility that they could bring back double rotation, but obviously they can't do that, you know, right now and just say, why okay, not? we're rotating Throne. But, but why not? I mean, why can't they? They could, but they would, ne- they would never do something. Well, are you sure? <laughs> I would, <laughs> like, I wouldn't put anything past them or whatever, but, um, you know, it's one of those things, like, you're, you're you're too worried thinking about if they could, and you should be thinking about if they should, and they 100% should be, and stuff like that. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I would love it to happen. I don't think it's going to, like you said. I don't think it's even on their radar. Like, a lot of us talk about it. There's been some talk on Twitter about it that should have happened. And like I just don't think they think along those lines, or and which which it makes sense, right? You know they they have to think in the future. You know what I mean? Like they're they're already a year ahead of us or more. You know. Yeah. But so. you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm I think we're dealing with throne for another six months. Um, that said, like I've started to see some ways where this this set is can impact standard in significant ways. Like I said, the the sort of treasury dragon decks have have gotten a big shot in the arm. I always thought it was awkward that those is it decks were, you know, their entire deck was reactive except for um, Goldspan Dragon. And so right. you, there was just always this one term where you're like, okay, I've got to tap out for Goldspan Dragon. And if I untap, the game's over. And if they kill my Goldspan Dragon, the game is also probably over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but exactly. not in the way I want. And now I think those decks just have a lot more play. They're a lot more cohesive. Uh, with the Galazeth Prismari and with Magma Opus, you know, Prismari Command is a fine, you know, two of in decks like that. There's plenty of artifacts you want to kill. 
you know, uh, and you still get to play your stomps and Bone Crusher Giants. They get to be a little bit more threat dense, which they wanted. Expressive Iteration is a great addition to those. And then, you know, Sedgemore Witch and um, Plum the Forbidden are best friends. Like those two cards and how to build around them. And then uh, the, the other, the base is it decks are, I, I think, good decks that will compete with the adventure decks and the ultimatum, you know, decks and things like that. Please, please, I will play the shit out of standard if those I, decks I are playable. Yeah, I think the rogues and cycling are, are going to get hurt by people playing Callous Blood Mage. So that'll help, you know, suppress those decks a little bit, which is also helpful. You know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of playing against rogues and cycling. Same. same. Uh, so uh, there's there's some good things here. Uh, and, and I'm a lot more optimistic than I was two weeks ago. Yeah, same. So uh, definitely looking forward to that kind of stuff. Looking forward to the new set. I can't wait to play Arena again if my account ever gets unfrozen. <laughs> and I will definitely be playing some standard and a ton of limited. I will say this. From the couple times I've drafted the set already, I've already learned a bunch of stuff. So I'm super excited about that. Um, Have you learned Pest Summoning? Have you learned, <laughs> you know? No, I haven't had a Golgari deck or, I'm sorry, a Witherbloom deck yet. So I haven't really messed with that. But I did, obviously, my first deck was red-blue, obviously, because it's my thing. And it was just the right deck to be in for the draft. And I will say this. There's a, um, there's like a 3-3 three, three in the set for, for two mana. It's like red-blue, red-blue. It's hybrid mana. But you can't attack with it unless you've Magecraft that turn. Okay. And it's a common. So it's like 3-3 three, three Defender or Magecraft. You may yeah. attack as though it doesn't have Defender yeah, yeah, this turn. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I think the card might be like one of the most impactful commons in the set already. Like it's it's it, it like just from the few games I've played because I'll say this: the red blue decks you can get beat down pretty fast because you're a little bit slower and like you're not doing anything as impactful in the first couple turns. And so playing yeah, a three, you gotta like set two, up the engine. Yeah, and like a lot of your cards cost seven, right? Like you have these cards that are like super expensive and stuff in your deck. Like you're trying to cast, you know, Magum Opus, and like there's a there's an uncommon one and you know stuff like that. So so you're telling me that is it decks in this format are like mid range turn the corner decks? Or you're like yeah, a little yeah. bit behind early, and then you pick your spot on like turn five, and you just immediately become the the aggro. Something like and that, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I, because that's my favorite thing to do yeah. in the entire world. Also, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this coming or not, but learn is awesome and very powerful. And very I, I good. saw a Seth Manfield tweet that he thinks it might be the best limited mechanic ever made, yeah, and I said pretty much as much when we first saw it. Right? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I definitely think it's it's going to be in contention. It just seems great for limited. Other small few things. Uh, Berry in books is even better than I thought it would be. Do you know what card this is? It's a five-mana instant that puts target creature into its owner's library second from the top, but you can cast it for three mana if you're targeting an attacking creature. So it's totally lost, which was... Slash kill shot. Yeah, but it's uh, it's an instant, and it's you know blue, but it goes two from the top, so it actually kind of kills the card instead of them drawing it again immediately next turn. And then the the upside of like being able to do it for three mana is very 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 good. So uh, it's impressed me. I thought it was like you know the card was like I- I'm gonna take this and try it. It's impressed me or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. A few cards that didn't make the list today that I'm like that I'm keeping an eye out on. Uh, th- was it thrilling discovery? Is definitely one of the cards that I'm keeping my eye out on this set to see if it ever shows up somewhere, but I can definitely see it. that's the one that's red-white. Uh, you gain two the, life. The cathartic reunion. Yeah, then you may discard two, draw three. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that card could possibly show up somewhere. Um, I think it's really cool with Silver Ghoul. Uh, with Silver Ghoul, whatever it's called. Silver Smoke Ghoul. Silver Smoke Ghoul. I wanted to say Sil- Silver Ghoul Adept. I'm like, that's not a... That's a that's a merfolk. Um, 
kind of thing. You know, that's that's one of the cards. And there's there's a few other that you know showing up here or there that look like they might be powerful somewhere. We're we're obviously going to miss something. So you know, let us know in our no. My list Discord is perfect. I haven't missed anything. Uh, Much yeah. like all of my previous top eight lists, where I've yeah. missed nothing. Yeah, exactly. Like you never missed a companion that was just format defining and broken or anything like that. So that's all good. Nope, never did that. Nope, that never happened. And, and then your your buddy didn't see it or ever too. But um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that uh, we do have a sponsor. We need to talk about them just for like a second on the thing. I actually have a new order coming in the mail that I'm super excited about from Banis- Barrister and Man. I'm said Banister and Man, uh, Barrister and Man. Um, I have a bunch of the Diamond Series stuff coming in. That's the baseball-related stuff. And also, if you don't follow them on Twitter, I haven't seen anything stuff on Twitter. I retweeted the other day. They're giving away some tickets to Cooperstown. So if you've never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame, I hi- and you're in that area, right? You know, traveling's a little little difficult for people right now. But, you know, if, I don't know if they're, like, time-sensitive or what. But they're doing a, a giveaway. So make sure you check out their Twitter. Uh, follow them on there. Um, and you can, you can get into this, this contest for the, the tickets to Cooperstown. Again, it's the baseball hall of fame. So if you're not into that stuff, I get it. But if you've ever thought about going, it's, I've never been myself, but I've seen a lot of like pictures and stuff. And I, I want to go at some point. I want to like, you know, bring my kid. It's the kind of thing I want to do, but I, I got to believe it's like a religious experience for somebody like me. So when you, when you're planning this trip to the baseball hall of fame, Tannen, let me know because I want to join you. Yeah, sure. Because uh, in Cooperstown, New York, is my favorite brewery. I was going to say, there's a lot of good beer there, yeah. Um, I'm a gang brewery. They specialize in Belgian-style beers, is there a which are among my favorites. Is there a specific one that you like? There is a specific one. It is called Three Philosophers. I've heard you mention this a lot of times. Yeah, I thought that's what yes. it was. Yeah. It is a Belgian quadruple ale, which is a strong dark ale. Uh, has a lot of sort of like plum, dark fruit, stone fruit kind of uh, flavors to it, but a bit of a Belgian funk at the end. If you know Belgian beers, uh, is incredibly good. But they they take that base and they blend it, so it's ninety eight percent that base and two percent of a cherry lambic, which is a sour. So there's a tart cherry note to balance out the bitterness and the funk, uh, and it sort of adds to the funk really because you get that sourness into it. It is incredible. There is a cafe on site at the brewery where they cook with the beer. They make an ice cream with three philosophers oh, that, that is on amazing. the dessert menu. See, like, yeah, I would, I would be more interested in eating all the food, and I would obviously try one of the, of the beers yeah. or whatever. But so we'll we'll go to the baseball hall of fame and we'll, we'll get a, a very good meal at the Amgang Brewery. I'll uh, I'll call BDM and see if he wants to come along, and then we can maybe go catch a game too up in the area. Because yeah, like, we'll, we'll like fly into New York. Yeah, we'll figure we'll, it all out. We'll catch a game, then we'll take the. Uh, I don't know if we can train to Cooperstown because it's a little bit into. I know the, a few people. No land. I know a few people yeah. in New York. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I know okay. a few baseball fans. Um, but anyway, back to Barrister and Man. You know the people that are doing this. Make sure you check out their Twitter for that. Um, yeah, I guess we can talk about them. Yeah. Big fan of their products. Uh, I want I want to share my order that's coming in. I have the aftershave balm, so some more aftershave bulb coming in from uh, from Bearish Man. This is the Diamond series. Um, it's the best aftershave I've ever used. It doesn't have the sting. It's a balm. So it's not just like the alcoholic liquid you splash on your face. Like you actually just like rub it into your skin. My skin has improved immensely afterwards. Uh, just huge fan of that because I've, I've been telling you I've been more into taking care of my skin the last few years than I than I was as a kid. I wish I had when I was younger. Oh, I have a, the the diamond shaving soap coming as well. You've heard me talking about that as well. I'm super obsessed with that because I started shaving again, and it just makes everything easier. Like my blades are lasting longer, my skin is better, my shave is smoother, and like my skin is just healthier. Like it helps you exfoliate a lot more while you're doing it as well. So huge, huge fan of that. Uh, if you're gonna get the shaving soap, I definitely recommend you get one of their shaving brushes. 
from them as well. Uh, Ross likes to play with his. I, I use mine all the time. Uh, super, it just helps the lather being a lot better on the face than just using your hands to kind of rub it in. So I, I like it a lot better. It, you know, opens up your pores and stuff a lot more, et cetera. Yeah, it's the way you're supposed to do things. Yeah, it's the way you're supposed to, like if you've ever gotten a professional shave, they use all of these things instead of like the stuff that everyday people have for, for their, their shaving uh, routine. And then the last thing I have coming is I have another hand and body soap from the Diamond Series, which all the stuff I keep talking about how good the Diamond Series is, it's limited quantity. So if you want to get it, make sure you get it now because it's only out at certain times of the year, et cetera, and they only make so much. But I love their hands and body soaps because, A, I'm washing my hands a lot more in the last year than I have in the past, and it's a good habit to have. And, B, like, I just want to be clean, man. You know, I just want to, like, you know, not feel dirty, not feel gross, but I also want a better product that's made better. And, you know, there's been a big thing recently, like I'm actually going to start changing my shampoo sometime soon to get like, you know, better ingredients in them and less of the stuff that makes me lose my hair because I'm already losing my hair. I don't want to lose more. But these are just like simple, good ingredients made by a person that we actually know. And so that's a big thing for me. You know, I actually like know who's making this. I know what's going into it. There's no crazy chemicals that I can't pronounce and stuff that's in it that's going to harm me. So I'm really into being more conscious of what I put into and onto my body recently. And Barristered Man has helped that out a lot. And so I'm very happy that we have them as a sponsor. Make sure you check them out at barristeredman.com and use our code uh, MTGRANTS for 15% off at your, at your purchase. So uh, that should more than cover shipping or, or and a little bit extra for, for y'all. So I think this makes A, really good gifts for not just the guy in your life, but it could, it could be for a girl in your life too. But really good gifts, uh, you, you know, excuses for stocking stuffers, literally anything, birthday gifts, just random gifts because they're not they're not super expensive. Like my whole order was like under thirty dollars, you know what I mean? Like for all those things, so you know, less than ten bucks per per item, which is awesome. And uh, I'll tell you this, you know, us magic players, we can maybe you know work a little bit on our hygiene overall. You know, we we, we we've been known to kind of not be the best with that kind of stuff, you know, myself included. So let, let's make sure we uh, we up our game. A little bit when it comes to that you know easiest way to uh impress the people around us is is uh look good smell good feel good you know let's 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 up our game a little bit yeah all right so uh did you want to get a few uh a few over unders got posted or do you want to get a few of those before we get out of here for today yeah let's take three okay um let me see here was there a actually there was a uh there's a there's a couple of mailbag submissions let's go ahead and get those first Okay, the first one's from uh, Chef Petra. He says, old school corner time. Was the sly curve calculation a step to unlocking good aggressive deck building or just humble ju- hum- jumble jamble that doesn't have real power and it's part of a bygone time? You know, as a reminder, like, you know, X amount of one, two, three, four mana cards. It was like nine to 13 ones, six to eight twos, three to four threes, two to three fours, et cetera, and then a bunch of burn spells. Um, to answer it, I think you were kind of, I think it was definitely on to something, right? Like it was some of the first real, real big theory wise creation into deck building and realizing like how important mana curve is to what your accomplished goal is. Like, you know, just trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible, right? Or disrupt them on the right axis and axes of like where your mana cost is and what, what you're trying to accomplish. And this is kind of like the stepping stones into all of like modern deck building. I don't mean deck building in the modern format. I mean like deck building in our lifetime, you know, kind of stuff. And this was just a huge step forward in figuring out steps in magic that we had. Because like if you look at really old deck lists, they look really funky, right? And you're like, what is going on here? It's just good cards. That's a terrible way of putting it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And stuff. So I just think this was like one of the big steps in fundamentally understanding magic at a better level. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think this is a real deal, huge um, um, step forward for our understanding of the game. I think that, you know, those early days and early years of Magic are dominated by decks that win along the card advantage axis. And it's, I think that's an axis that's a lot easier to understand because it's so readily apparent, whereas the tempo axis is much less so. Uh, and we've gotten, you know, modern Magic is a lot more about tempo than it is about card advantage. And that, is le- that left a lot of people behind. There was an adjustment period in, like, you know, the late 2000s, early 2010s, where I think a lot of people were tr- trying too hard to just win on card advantage, were overrating card draw, and were underrating just efficient, powerful cards. Um, and, uh, you know, Sly is that, that first step in understanding. I also think, you know, I, you know, people tend to overrate just the direct applications of you know, I'll say math, but it, it looked sort of just calculational math to magic. You know, uh, I remember I I remember watching uh, was it was it League Weekend or some event recently, and the they were oh it was uh, it was the Nerd Rage event, and uh, I was watching and they had the the players screen shared in for the commentary. And there was a difficult mulligan decision, and the person, you know, making it, the player, you know, pulled up a web page and went to the hypergeometric distribution calculator to, like, get the odds. And that just made and you I'm so like, happy? Well, no, because that's not something I, I would ever do in-game. Because, like, when you look at that number, what does that number tell you? Like, nobody knows. No, you, you, can't, you can't say definitively what, the number, what number makes it an acceptable keep. Unless you've done, like, a ton of work uh, beforehand, right, and that's work that no Magic player has done to date, right? I, th- I think maybe there, there you can get to that point, but there's literally no way you can tell me like 65% is acceptable, but 62% is not, <laughs> because you don't know what the impact of you know bricking is on winning. You don't know what the impact of hitting is on winning. You don't know what the impact of mulliganing is exactly in winning. You're estimating all of those numbers, so there's always a huge degree of subjectivity there because there's so many variables. That said. I think outside of in-game play, you can do things like create a, you know, a model curve. Frank Carson has done this. Like, if you're only playing, like, one-man two-twos and, like, two-man three-threes, like, what is, the, what is the ideal curve, uh, you know, to kill your opponent as quickly as possible? And I think the, using those as defaults when you're building, like, the initial sketch of a deck is, can be really helpful. Um, and, and that's what they are. They're defaults because, again, there's so many variables that you have to account for, but you don't know how to evaluate those variables until you've played with the deck. But sometimes you miss out on a promising thing because you've so misbuilt the initial build that it just seems bad. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously players have good intuition for these things, so that doesn't happen often. But you'll get close. Starting closer to the end point is always going to be helpful, especially if you're testing with limited time. So I think players should be using these kinds of things more readily for, um, you know, for creating those initial builds. And I think that that kind of stuff is helpful. So that sketch of like, you know, nine to 12 one drops, you know, whatever the sly sketch was, is something that I think should be utilized more today. But that should be utilized more in the like early brewing process. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, Yeoman requested a rant on early access. I got you, bro. And uh, Fuzzy Dan asks, or says, uh, related to Watsy's update on continuing to suspend in-store play coming out today. One of my local stores has mentioned uh, divesting from MTG entirely, if this continues, has scaled back buying product and collections already, but not entirely given up yet. 
And there's always discourse on how Watsy could, should be better at supporting, supporting local stores. Got me thinking how much of this becomes self-fulfilling prophecy and what can players do to help restore their local communities in era of arena after a pandemic. So this is a hard, this is a hard uh, conversation, right? Um, I don't want to talk about my local, uh, my local game store because of some, some, some stuff. So anyway, but um, if you're going to buy magic cards right now and you're going to order them online, buy local if you can, like help your local businesses because they are definitely struggling in the last year. And yeah, it might be a few dollars extra, but like just help them out if you can afford to, you know, that, that's a big thing. Um, a way to help fix this, if you see this as a problem in the future, is to when the time comes and when it's safe, return to your local stores, you know, play games, support them in ways that you can, but don't do it at your own peril. Like, you know, it, it sucks. I get it. But like, take care of yourselves, you know, listen to the CDC, like listen to your state's guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't feel comfortable doing something, don't do it. Um, yes, this does become a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy in the fact that like, you know, you see something trending a certain way and you kind of just like fall into the trend and, you know, believe that it's going to be that way all the time. You just kind of like do that, go that and like make a big business decision, you know, based on it. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. So we'll have to see. I mean, it kind of sucks. My store personally, uh, the, my LGS has like, I think this has been one of their best years to date especially on the secondary market. Like they've been just selling through cards like crazy. They can't keep stuff in stock, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they're doing pretty well overall, but I don't think that's the the common experience here. Can, can you reread the last part of this question? And what can players do to help restore their local communities and era of arena after the pandemic or the part right before that? No, no. So, um, yeah, like if you want something to exist, participate in it. Like, yep. Isn't this pretty simple? I mean, you say that, but like, he doesn't mean just, I don't think he, I don't think Fuzzy Dan means that just from himself, right? Like, I, I think he understands the concept of if I want something to happen, like I have to go out and do it or make it happen kind of thing. But just like an overarching thing, like a lot of people are staying at home to play arena more because of what's happened in the last year, you know, like, you know, we can't really leave. So it's kind of like, it's become a habit, you know, you, you, you kind of said and stuff and like, I get where they're going with this and like, yeah, it does kind of suck. You're not gonna have as many people showing up to your local store to hang out and play because they can get their fix at home and stuff. Commander is going to be a, a big, it's going to shoulder a lot of this burden. You can't really play commander on arena and you can play it in real life. Plus people just want to be able to show off their really cool cards. And stuff. You know, there's a lot of really cool, good looking cards that have come out in the last year and stuff like that. So like, you know, people trying to show off, that's going to help a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, I agree that like that, that's going to be an issue for, you know, local game stores and whatever. Um, I'm not, you know, of this ilk that this is a serious burden that players need to bear. Like I'm never, I'm never going to, you know, offer sympathies to businesses and make and let those businesses make me think like I'm, you know, required to, you know, patronize them because they, like they are providing me an important service. Businesses exist for them to make money. If you want to give them your money because you want them to exist, then do it. Yeah, I mean that, right? Like, there's not much more to it. It's, it's be the change you want to see in the world. And I don't just mean that, like, from, you know, like, you can apply this to everything, right? Like, if you want your local community to be better, and if it's, you know, if you're a Magic player, then, yeah, this is, this is like, do it. Invest more. Ross is really big into this, about putting his money where his mouth is, however you want to put the phrase in. Like, you know, he wants the world to be a better place when it comes to certain things, and he volunteers, and he does a lot more stuff. And it's actually really inspiring when I see you doing it, Ross, and, like, in parts, it's made me feel worse about myself, but 
the fact that I'm aware of it, I think, is a big thing, and that I'm going to do something about it eventually when it's a little more safe for me to go outside more and figure out some places. Because I just don't trust all some of the people I'm going to be around for some of the stuff that I want to do. And when yeah. that's a little bit I've better... I've been less active over the last year, too, for the same reasons. And I'm looking forward to starting to be more active, especially once I'm vaccinated and once we get to herd immunity. And yeah, I'll be, I'll be vaccinated really soon. Like, I think I'm in like a week or two, yeah. I am getting my second dose in... A week and a half. Yeah, I'm two like the, from two days ago. I'm in like the 24th or something like that. I don't, or yeah, the 22nd I'm, or something. I'm the 28th. Yeah. So, oh, gotcha. But uh, so yeah, I think it comes down to that. I don't know if that's the exact answer you're looking for. If you have something more specific you want, you know, feel free to send us in another question. Um, we can we can kind of go from there. But uh, I think I'm actually going to hold off on the over under Ross until next week. I think I need to go. I got some stuff I got to do in about five minutes. So I think we're gonna have to yeah. kind of wrap we've, up. We've the show. hit almost two hours. That's that's about our. <laughs> <laughs> normal time yeah. so uh, for everybody that's listened uh thanks for listening to this episode uh make sure that uh let us know on twitter or in the discord if you think that we got something really right or if you think we got something really wrong which is probably more likely on our top eight lists and our uh, over under and you can give me some more hate for involving a card that's not even in this set and was printed two years ago or whatever so or three years ago at I this point so much yeah so yeah, give me some Can't more hate there you did that to me yeah well, yeah, we'll talk about this again some more next week. So, uh, this listen is a personal to affront, Tannen. Yeah, yeah, a personal affront. I love you, Russ, and I love all of y'all for listening. So, make sure you check us out next week.